What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It is episode 49 of the What's Real podcast. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my co-pilot, my cohort, my uh, my partner in crime, if you will, and my tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's going on, man? Jingle all the way. Hey, y'all, here on What's Real, we're in the December month, the big Christmas month. The holidays are rolling by here, and we're closing out what we're considering season one, hey, y'all, of year one of What's Real. Already been a crazy ride, man. Once a week, every week since January, the first week of January in 2020, we've been through a pandemic, hey, y'all. We've been through some personal losses. We've been through a ton of celebrity losses. We've been through it all, hey, y'all. But as you could tell, I'm nice and pumped up. Santa with muscles over in this mug, and I'm ready to chop it up, closing in on the big episode 50 with episode 49 with you. Hey, yeah, man, we got a good one. Uh, we have some NFL week 12 discussion, uh, and boy, this is going to be fun because we get to talk about fantasy football that, as of us recording, has not completed yet. Uh, we get to talk about the Steeler game, which still hasn't happened. Uh, we talked about that on last week's podcast. And power rankings that are basically incomplete because the NFL sucks ass. So that'll be fun. Uh, We have a jam-packed segment of wrestling and combat sports. We're going to be talking about part two of the Broken Skull Sessions with The Undertaker. We have previews coming up of NXT War Games and AEW's uh, show this upcoming Wednesday, Winter is Coming. We're going to talk about Tyson Roy Jones Jr. Uh, We've talked about that on the podcast for the last few months. Well, it actually happened, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. The season finale of Thursday Night Prime this week with Enter the Ninja from 1981 with Franco Nero. Uh, We have some goofs, of course, as usual, and much, much more. So let's get into it, the Jay. Uh, First up, uh, well, actually, let's do this first. If you guys are listening on iTunes, please throw us a five-star review. That actually gets us uh, a little bit more attention, gets more eyes and ears on the program. Of course, you could also listen on all your favorite podcasting platforms every week, such as Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and every week on the mighty ChurchillPictures.com. Don't forget to follow us over on the Twitter machines at What's Real Pod One. Uh, you could always email us here at the show at What's Real Pod at gmail.com. Now that we got all that shit out of the way, the J, let's get into it. Big week here. Uh, some sad news to start off the show. Because, uh, you know, we've only done this 49 times, I feel like, so far. Uh, rest in peace to David Prowse, uh, known uh, most likely for being the man who was in the suit for Darth Vader. Uh, he also had a very memorable role, too, in A Clockwork Orange, uh, if you remember that. That's another thing that I remember him from. Uh, very sad news, nonetheless, uh, of a very, very major player uh, just in those two films alone. So I think that says, you know, enough in and of, of itself. It's cool too. Cause you know, me as a gym rat, Hey, Elton, he was a former bodybuilder turned actor and uh, obviously got that role of Darth Vader for his size. And with the combination, of course, with Sir James Earl Jones voice, uh, just a classic character. I mean, legendary, of course, uh, Darth Vader, um, another nostalgia thing and childhood thing for us. Hey, you know, childs of the eighties. So another, another sad passing, uh, yet another full life, uh, passing away at the age of 85. And, uh, as his uh, agent said, in my reference, pulling it up here on, uh, BBC.com may the force be with him always. Hey, you know. absolutely. So 
moving right along, one thing that I thought was interesting that I saw this upcoming week, or this past week, I should say, uh, we mentioned on the show about uh, the upcoming Netflix project, with uh, the, the Hulk Hogan project. Um, and kind of like what I was saying, the Jay. Fake news, uh, hey, yo. Eric Bischoff has provided an update on the biopic. Uh, He confirms his involvement in the project, but insists it is, quote, not a done deal by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, This was uh, he mentioned this on his podcast. He said the media coverage about the uh, the Hogan project caught them all off guard. Uh, He considers the project in development, but there's been no casting and no production scheduled. Uh, He admits if Netflix had given the Hogan movie the green light, he'd already be shopping for a new truck. So, um, but yeah, I mean, apparently the information about the movie was supposed never supposed to make the press, according to Bischoff. Um, the project is still technically in development, meaning it is not scheduled for production. There's no casting going on. There's no scheduled going on. Uh, it it's still on, uh, but in the late stages of development. So it's kind of what we were saying. Uh, it's been mentioned about Chris Hemsworth playing Hogan, but he's apparently in discussions to just play Hogan. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of like, you know, what I was kind of expecting here. Bischoff did mention that a big part of it, like so many things right now, is the coronavirus situation, which has delayed a lot of things, I guess. So the way he was kind of putting it, uh, appropriately putting the kibosh on the 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 way the media was kind of jumping on it, like you mentioned, and acting like it was definite from behind the scenes. However, I still believe the way that he was talking about it, the way that it appears um, Hemsworth, like we mentioned last week, is taking this super seriously, and the way Hogan is is kind of going about it, all kind of are tells to me, hey Ed, that that eventually this is going to get greenlit and this movie is going to uh, go into production. Yeah. I think that uh, of course the dangerous part here for, for those involved is uh, just talking about it could get people to not want to be interested in a project, especially because then they're able to get some sort of like, you know, sense of what the public's thinking about it. it and it could make or break a project like that. It's not always a good thing when that information gets out. I feel it was a positive reaction though, from what I saw. Um, you know, I can't tell you exactly, but it seemed like a lot of people were, were well, at least interested in this. It, it also, though, could depending on who's interested in it in the first place, it could be the kind of thing, though, that like, you know, maybe the, the, the project was supposed to be part of something else that they were doing. And it's like this information getting out kind of like fucks that up. So then they're like, you know what? We're not doing that at all. Not saying it's not going to happen, but like, for example, here, hypothetical, maybe Netflix is like, we ain't fucking with this now. And it's like someone else does it or something, you know, Hulu gets it or something. That could happen. And I think that was Bischoff's point is that, yeah, we're talking about it. It's, it's very serious. It's down the road. However, nothing is signed. So to your point, Hey Ed, like anything can happen. So I think that's why he kind of wanted to get that out there. Uh, within the media and social media and things like that, that like, look, guys, you know, we're working on this, but the the media kind of gave this a a kind of boost that it wasn't ready for at this point. Yeah, it's very possible. I mean, we'll, we'll obviously keep our our ears open here and uh, see if we hear any more information about it, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot more forthcoming one way or another. Uh, Just a real quick side note, speaking of wrestling, did, uh, did you catch any of raw last night? A little bit. I did see the um, 
the Jeff Hardy bump because I saw people. That's yeah, that's about I was that gonna ask you if you saw Jeff Hardy die. Uh, yeah, Jesus, dude, what the fuck? It, it's so weird how like different him and Matt are, right? Like just in general, but how much they also remind me of each other because it's like they're both in you know over the course of this last year, just doing a lot of shit that they shouldn't be doing anymore. Yeah. Like there's really no reason for it at this point. For those that don't know, he was in a Symphony of Destruction match they built it against Elias. So a lot of weapons involved, a lot of musical instruments and things like that to go with the gimmick. And towards the end of the match, Jeff put Elias on a table and he put him in the corner on the outside of the ring. That literally, that made no sense to me. Is that like what what you thought? Like, what the fuck did they do? Like, what did you want to happen? Out of all locations to do that, I guess because he was going to, use the the pillar there, the post in the corner to to kind of balance and be able to do a swanton. But he could do that at any angle. And yeah, he did the swanton onto the uh, Elias through the table, but the steel steps were right there and he smashed his back of his head off the steps after you know, uh, going through the swanton. Just throwing this out there. Now, I'm not thinking exact dynamics here, but like say they could have like during the match or whatever, like somebody gets thrown through the fucking barricade, you know, like the guardrail. Right. And, and then it like gives them more space to do something like that. Then I'd understand it. Like, okay, well that's why he got thrown through here and it broke. And it's like, there's way more space there now. So they don't have to land on the steps like that, but just seeing like that had to be a kind of thing where it's like, like Jeff knows when he's standing up there, like, okay, so I'm definitely getting fucked up on this. Like, there's no going back. TV's live. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no way to do anything else. But, like, dude, you're you're definitely getting fucked up on that. Yeah, and he wasn't knocked out. He finished the match. He got the pin. The ref checked on him. And it was funny because the report that I, like, one of the first reports that I read, it said, uh, quote, unquote, Jeff Hardy expected to have a concussion. <laughs> I'm like, you know, he either has a concussion or not. I mean, it looks like he definitely had at least a mild concussion. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I just saw one clip on TV, uh, just completely speculating, of course. But nonetheless, like you said, it, was, it wasn't it was a very um, calculated swanton for all the ones that he's done over the years. Yeah, totally agree there. That shit was crazy. Uh, but that's just a quick side note. Uh, but, man, we got a lot of weird... Not weird per se, but just surprising movie news this week. Um, there was also another article that I that I encountered uh, that said Disney reportedly wants Schwarzenegger and Adrian Brody back for a new Predator movie. Um, as we know, Schwarzenegger doesn't really do a lot of sequels. That's not really his bag. Um, but they they talked to a lot of people, and it's going to be done through 20th Century Fox Studios or I should say 20th century studios. I'm never going to get used to calling it that, uh, but, it. but they're looking to make a direct sequel to uh, predators. Uh, the one with Adrian Brody. Uh, and they wanted to get Schwarzenegger back to reprise his role as major Dutch Schaefer. Um, now here's the, here's kind of where I look at on this. Sounds great. Uh, I would never think that it would happen, but the fact that Disney's involved with 20th century studios like it's very possible, at least just for a cameo or something, I could see that happening. 
Yeah, it depends on how they do it. From from reading up on this, the the article uh, always giving credit. We got this covered.com states that Schwarzenegger doesn't really do too many sequels other than the Terminator franchise, of course. Uh, besides that, you know, he does the cameo appearances in the Expendables, and the only other character that he did do a sequel for was back in the day as Conan in, in that sequel, and that's been thirty six years. So. Um, they're going to, you know, it's going to take a lot. I, th- I think Schwarzenegger, especially where he's at in his career, it's, it's like anything. I don't even think it's necessarily about the money. I'm sure that's a factor, but more than I anything, it's going to be about the creative. Yeah. If, if something t- tantalizes him as far as a, a really good creative spin, it, it might may, you know, pique his, uh, interest. Other than that, I, I don't see too much of it. And like you said, if anything, it might just be a, a cameo. And I don't know if you, you saw this, Hey, but the, uh, this reported Predator is going to be directed by uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane director Dan Thratchenberg. Yep. And supposedly, according to this article, his spin on the Predator material is said to take place in the past and focus on a female Native American warrior. Uh, so that sounds pretty pretty unique and fresh. And yeah. you know how the J is. I, I like anything that kind of you know is, is outside of the box. So so definitely, um, you know, like you said, we'll get into some more just out of nowhere movie movie news. Uh, but yeah, this kind of came out of nowhere and definitely well, piqued my interest. So okay, you know, obviously the lineage of the Predator stuff, right? Like that through the course of the movies and a lot of the other materials and stuff that we've been given they've kind of established that predators have been around a long time. You know what I'm saying? So we've seen obviously the original, we saw basically bringing, you know, predator to like an urban setting in the second one. Then we've seen a lot of the futuristic stuff whenever they started to do the spinoffs, you know, with the alien versus predator movies, they've never really done anything. That's like going back further. You know what I mean? Like what if they did a Western version of predator or like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that it's it's something they could do that would be interesting. So I kind of like the idea that they have with the Native American warrior because it sounds like that's what they're doing. Like they're trying to go back and make more of a period piece, but it's a predator movie. Um, it's definitely outside of the box. And if but if they do go that route, because that's what I was thinking reading up on this, I don't know how they would incorporate uh, Schwarzenegger's character Dutch. Yeah, Schwarzenegger I, being currently in his seventies. Yeah, I don't know how they would do that either. Um, I don't think to me, that sounds like two separate projects. You know what I mean? Like, uh, with one sounding like it's very, very close to shooting and the other one sounding like a major, major concept that Disney wants to do. Um, now I I was going to ask you this too. Uh, did you like the one with Adrian Brody? That's funny, as always, great minds. Uh, yeah, because I was going to ask you that as well. I forgot if we ever talked about that and your take on it, but I, I thought it was all right. I actually really take. liked it. Yeah, th- it was uh, Shane uh, Black was behind it, who yeah. was the original writer of the first one. Yep. Uh, so that helped a lot. But yeah, I enjoyed it. It was entertaining, that's for sure. It's been a while since I've gone back and watched it. I want to rewatch it. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. Now, did you see the other one, like the most recent one that they put out? I think it's just called The Predator. I think so, because you know my ass. I'll just blind buy things like that that I don't see in the theater. And that, I think I have that down there, but I honestly can't even remember it. That so one, that <laughs> from what I remember, is pretty shitty. It's, I mean, there, yeah. there's a bunch of action and stuff in it, but it's just not good. Like, they just, they, it's basically like the the theory of aliens, but with a predator. Yeah, and they went comedic with it. They have uh, from, from um, Jordan and Peele, you know, Jordan Peele's part. Oh, yeah. On Brain Fart, as always. Mike, Key. Michael yeah, Keegan so he Key. was part of it and had a lot of quips and 
comedic dialogue and things like that, I think threw it off. So, it's just, um, but like you said, it's like kudos to go in a different direction, but I don't think it works. It's weird, man. Like they never seem to have a problem green lighting, like the weird concept ones, but like the really good ones, they just never seem. Cause I mean, dude, this has been, something that has been pretty consistent. I'd say since like the early two thousands is like, you know, different predator concepts that they've had. There's been a ton of them. Yeah, because they do say that uh, insider Daniel Rickman claims that multiple Predator movies could be in the works under the Disney-owned 20th Century Studios. So, like, this is one of the many ideas being floated around. And there's another one that is uh, a direct sequel to Nimrod Antel's uh, one that we were just talking about, Predators Plural. Uh, So that one, you know, might be the one that we're kind of talking about that uh, pairs up Adrian Brody with Schwarzenegger. So it seems like they're like anything, and especially Disney, like you say, hey, you know, whatever they can get their hands on and, and try to make some money with, they're going to do. So it looks like they're trying to make a, a really big Predator franchise out of everything. Yeah, it sounds to be. So we'll we'll obviously uh, keep our eyes and ears open for more information on that. But, uh, you know, who the hell knows? Like that stuff like that, it's weird. Like, Obviously, we're interested in the Predator franchise. It's something that me and the Jay both like, I guess you could say. But the news on this stuff is just overabundant, and most of it is just completely senseless. Like it just never materializes. So I'm all I'm always kind of right. apprehensive when it comes to that stuff. Um, now this has to be the weirdest film news of the week to me. Um, now it, there's been a lot of stuff going around that. Uh, there's a group that's going through and trying to reboot the toxic Avenger series, uh, which is basically a B movie uh, series done through trauma. Uh, who's been around forever. And they're literally one and of themselves. There's nothing really else like trauma um, for good and the bad. I will say that too. Um, but I really enjoy the toxic Avenger series. Now, the one thing that that had me very interested in this because uh, the guy that is primed to direct this is the same. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. Did you see the movie I Don't Feel at Home in This World anymore? It was a Netflix release. It's really, I heard about it. really I good. It. Like, really good. Like, I, dude, I think you would love this movie. Like, it's... I yeah, probably because I don't think their movies Netflix? tend to go off there, and it's maybe like a year or two old. Yeah, it's because I know that was Elijah dude, Wood for what it I, is. I like Elijah it's Wood a, a lot really a good movie. Like I was really impressed by it. Uh, but it's gonna have the same director. Um, also, uh, it, people that were involved with somebody. Uh, have you ever seen Blue Ruin? Okay. Yes, same people, same same really people cool. behind that. So, but the the yeah. news that came out is that Peter Dinklage. Uh, I guess best known from Game of Thrones um, is going to be starring in the new Toxic Avenger movie. Now, I, with that being said, I don't. I think a lot of people assume that he's going to be the Toxic Avenger, and I don't think that's the case at all. Um, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I'm kind of interested to see what they're going to do with this because it's it sounds like it has the right people involved. It's they're trying to go at least in the right sense, like the, the Peter Dinklage news. If he does do this, it, it lends uh, like a I don't want to say weird, but like it, it's exactly the kind of stuff you would expect with Toxic Avenger. Like they're going a little outside the box. I like it. It could work. The one thing about it is that 
the original character, the nerdy character that becomes the toxic Avenger after falling into the waste is, yep. is young. You know, he's in high school. He's a high school kid. So that right there kind of throws off Peter Dinklage being him. But that that honestly could work in some sort of reimagining where Peter Dinklage falls in the waste and, and they, you know, just have like some huge jack. Yeah, up dude I mean, that's absolutely the something the they could do. And it, or it's he could also be the villain, kind of funny you know, too, not to digress too far away from the movie. I've always been kind of fascinated by this because the Toxic Avenger is such a weird concept to begin with. And the movies are what they are. And then to think that, you know, there was the time in the early 90s where they spun this off into the Toxic Crusaders cartoon series where there was toys and, it, you know, yeah. it was just such a weird thing. But, like, I mean, I guess there it, it does have some legs to it. You know what I mean? If, if somebody treats the material correctly, I mean, it's a, it should be a pretty funny movie that is really crass and violent because that's what the original movie was the original movie i think is brilliant i like the series but the very first movie is fucking fantastic you know what always stuck out to me yeah the, the fourth latest, one's really good actually four of them yeah the last one citizen talks yep. <laughs> it's just so crazy you know uh in no. the original i, I like those two a lot and uh yeah like like you said i'm right with you man it, it has a lot of potential because when you think about it it's a very similar yeah. concept yep. to the incredible hulk in a lot of ways, which is like a classic concept. So if, if it's done right, and, and as you and I both know, and that was what was great with you bringing up all the precursor stuff with who they plan on putting behind this, it's, you it's think in good so. hands. It's in good filmmakers' yeah. hands that have a, a good track record. So, But yeah, you never know. I mean, you, No, we got you some have uh, sports stuff this week that's, you know, this should just be called It's Weird because that's kind of the stuff that we got this week. The 49ers uh, of the NFL, of course, are now homeless. Uh, well, maybe not so much anymore, because it looks like they're going to be playing the rest of their games this season in Arizona, um, because... Yeah, you uh, you sent that to me, and I hadn't seen anything on it yet, that the 49ers were homeless. And I'm just like, right away, I just correlate it with the irony of the fact that San Francisco is the highest capacity... Yep. homeless population like in the country the, other than maybe like skid row and so a regional declaration a uh, stemming from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic has forced the Niners to make adjustments uh, as of last week the home of Levi Stadium in Santa Clara County announced new orders aimed to curb the spread of the virus among those orders is a three-week ban on all recreational activities that involve physical contact or close proximity to persons outside one's household um, of course, this is what made them have to move a bunch of games around. Uh, they're going to relocate, apparently, to Arizona. But, man, and we're going to talk about this a lot, trust me, in our upcoming NFL segment. But th this is just such a mess this year with the league. And it's something that me and the Jay both pretty much called in an earlier episode where we said their arrogance and lack of planning was going to become a serious issue. And it looks like as of this week like since we talked to you guys last that's really seemed to be the case i was gonna say we predicted it that's for sure and you know long long time ago going into the season way back in like august to be honest we didn't see how they were going to pull off getting the year done and they're really and struggling it's I mean, weird hanging too, on by because i just think that the nfl is essentially just putting a lot of people's safety at risk that's something that i didn't necessarily feel was the case 
with baseball this year, uh, especially with the NBA and also with the NHL, who did a very good job. But the NBA, the, the they killed it. Bubble sports. They did a great job, sports. and they, they did, did it with job. a lot of people's safety and care, you know, being taken into consideration. And the NFL just doesn't give a fuck. Like you said, we'll get into it, but 23 fucking yeah, Ravens. It, it's positive, it's getting so. a bit outrageous. Come on. Uh, but also speaking of baseball, I thought this was kind of cool um, because this is just, it's it, it's such a baseball thing. Uh, the Major League Baseball launches a wood bat league for draft eligible prospects. Um, of course, that says what it exactly what it is. Um, they are looking to create a minor league for top eligible prospects leading to the summer draft. The Woodbat Major League Baseball Draft League is launching with five teams and could add a sixth, Major League Baseball said last week. Teams will play a 68-game regular season that includes an all-star break that would coincide with the draft in early July. Teams are being awarded to communities that lost franchises as Major League Baseball moved to shrink the affiliated minor leagues from 160 to 120 teams this offseason following the expiration of the professional baseball agreement, which governed the relationship between the majors and the minors. Major League Baseball has planned to eliminate the separate governing body of minor league baseball. So they also announced that there would be an eight league pioneer league uh, or an 18 pioneer league will lose its affiliated status and became an independent partner league. So it's kind of interesting to see that they're doing this just, you know, for the concept of what it is. Uh, Obviously uh, a lot of lower level professional baseball teams don't use wooden bats like the majors do. Um, So that's kind of why they're doing this just to make sure that, you know, guys are ready to play. I, I guess a little bit earlier than they normally would be, especially guys that might be starting their careers on major league rosters. I like it. I, I go on and on about how so many things are oversaturated in, in the modern day. However, the cream rises to the crop. And if it's something that could be a cool alternative to even the majors, you know, as, as a baseball fan, like you and I have mentioned, Hey Ed, we haven't been into MLB for some time, mainly due to, living in Pittsburgh and and being basically, I think I could say for both of us, practically former pirate fans in a lot of aspects and ways. And uh, it could be a a different kind of alternative to check out some baseball. uh, Wanted to do a check-in with you on something, Jay. So you mentioned on the podcast here that you were able to secure a PS5. Well, that PS5 touched the fuck down, man. So what are the details? Yeah, we got the PS5. Uh, it's really, really cool hardware, man. It's bulky as hell. Hey, y'all. Um, they give you a a stem is the best way I can describe it. Just talking out loud about it here. And you could mm-hmm. either put it up vertically or horizontally. For my setup, I decided uh, horizontally because, as you know, I have an insane little seven-year-old who thinks he's <laughs> Shawn Michaels in 95. So I've, I felt like that standing it up could have been an issue of getting knocked over and you know me, man. I, I take care of my stuff, and especially a brand yeah. new uh, with the bundle, like I mentioned, seven ninety nine price tag. I'm not messing with that. But but yeah, of course, it's it's super cool. Um, you know, everything nowadays is so customizable. So I'm still messing with that. You know, customizing my 
setup and, and everything okay. with like where I put my media on it and everything. And, and you could do so many different options, which is really cool. And I mentioned last week, I got the Spider-Man Miles Morales bundle. So I've been playing that. That's actually the only game I've played other than the, the game. There's a game that's okay. packaged in with it called Astro's Playroom. And that's really cool. It gets you used to the mechanics of the controller. Uh, the new controllers are three, like okay. they call it 3D sound motion controllers. So they add a lot to the gameplay because they vibrate a lot and they use that within in the gameplay of the, the new gen games. So this Astro's play, Playground Playroom gets you kind of uh, adapted to using the new controllers and, and how that works. And it's a platformer. So it's a lot like I was telling you, it's almost like a, a modern... Okay. Super Mario Brothers on steroids in a lot of ways, you know, with like the cute characters, but, but it's really cool. It's really addictive and, and the kids uh, like that, but the Spider-Man game, Hey, it is definitely next gen, super fast. I think that's one of yeah. the biggest things off the bat is no loading times this generation. I mean, you, you mentioned when you saw that, uh, that demo of the Xbox series X, I mean, you're, you're in your game in, in less than a couple minutes. It's, it's super fast. And of course, yeah, the graphics, uh, for the Spider-Man game are just unbelievable. So uh, still getting acclimated to it, man. We record on Tuesday and I received it on Saturday. One thing we did want to mention here on the show, so you can take your data from your PlayStation 4 over to your PlayStation 5. And it's not too difficult of a okay. uh, process, especially if you have an Ethernet cable, which I did have, but due to my setup with the physical systems, I just decided to do it remotely. And, and you know, you just kind of line them up. And even my wife was like, well, don't you want to play it first? I mean, you just got it. Like you've been dying for this thing. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm patient. I just want to get this stuff done and then I could just roll with it. Well, it ended up taking into the point of me falling asleep. That's how long this process was taking to take my data from the PS4 to the PS5. When I woke up basically like right before to take myself up to bed, I had passed out on the couch. I don't know what I did. Hey, Ed, but I came back the next day. I thought it was all set and the, the um, Jesus. It didn't work. The transfer didn't work. So the J, the J still doesn't have his PS4 data on his PS5 at this point, but it's not a big deal to me. I'm kind of over it right now. Maybe I'll uh, do the Ethernet uh, thing when I have like a free weekend day or something to, to do it because uh, it's not a big deal to me. But just a heads up there, anybody interested uh, listening to us talk about it. Uh, yeah, I would I would recommend the Ethernet connection if you're going to transfer your data than doing the remote because it took forever. And then I had some sort of screw up and I basically. OK, basically, so I got two questions for you here about this so far. I know it's still early on. But just out of the box, what you've gotten to do so far, what's the biggest, like, like, okay, you knew about it going in, but, like, what was the one thing that, like, surprised you as being super cool or something you really liked that, like, you really weren't expecting at all? I think the speed, once you experience it, because, like you mentioned, you, you kind of know, like, that's one of the the big bullet points of what the next gen is going to be. Okay. It's going to be faster, uh, of course, graphically. And, and that's what one of the first things everybody lo looks at aesthetically of, of the graphics and the graphics are unbelievable. But as you know, Hey, I mean, we've been gaming. I, I got a Nintendo the year it came out in 85. And that's why I think I'm still a gamer in my forties is because that was just one of those things that I really okay. kind of fell in love with since I was a kid. And I've had all these different systems since so when you're used to Super Mario graphics in the grand scheme of things, I mean, there's still PlayStation 4 games, of course, that blow me away. 
Uh, so, you know, the graphics weren't as big of a thing as you might expect from the bat. I'm sure, you know, down the line, when it's truly into the next gen, some of the games that are going to be coming out graphically are going to blow you away. But for somebody that has VR and has had VR for a while now and things like that, uh, as good as the graphics are, that's not one of the things that first blew okay. me away. I think it was, it definitely was the speed of just how fast, it, yeah. you know, just, that's, I'm just not that used would to be an adjustment definitely. for as many different games as I, I play and stuff. So. Yeah, so that that definitely stands out. It's just lightning fast, and uh, and again, man, it just makes you know, especially the Spider Man game, for example, with with it being as fast as it is. And yeah. Did you play the yep. uh, the Spider Man game for PS4 by chance? Yeah, and it's it's just really fun. It's one of those games. The gameplay, yep. it's just they made it so fun to just swing around the city and things like that. And then, of course, really good storytelling, uh, working with Marvel and everything. So I'm really enjoying the Spider Man game. And, and next up. Uh, maybe can update you guys as the weeks go on here. I have uh, the new Assassin's Creed uh, Valhalla, the Viking Assassin's Creed on its way. And uh, in ga- in my game fight, a rent. I'm curious about that. Gen NBA. So I'll keep you posted there. But yeah, so far just Astro's Playground or Playroom. I keep say- saying it wrong, I believe, but whatever. The Astro game, uh, that's the building game. And, and Spider-Man Miles Morales okay. are... Uh, taking up a lot of my free time here. and fresh so out of the box with the just PS5 a couple days. What's the biggest disappointment? You may have already mentioned it, but I don't know if that's what, but like, what's the one thing that you were like, ah, oh, that's a little disappointing. Yeah. So far it was, yep. of course, uh, what I was talking about with the data transfer, you know, well, that was just annoying. Cause I just seem to have issues with technology. You know me for somebody that's you like a tech expect nerd, I have a lot of to issues basically have all the features work out of the box. Like it's understandable maybe in three years, if not everything's up to par, but you feel like brand new, it should be like, if that's a capability that they're selling on it, like you can do the data transfer, then you should be able to do it. And it shouldn't be that difficult period. Right. Exactly. So, so yeah, between that, and I don't think I've uh, played it enough to notice any bugs, but I know from reading things online that players are experiencing some, some bugginess and different technical glitches with their PS5s. But that, that's the thing nowadays too. Hey, you know, you know how it is, man, with the, the DLC for games and everything else. And that's the, the cool thing about the next-gen controller. Sony and whoever, that's they cool. update, they're able to remotely update all this stuff. So they'll be, you know, they'll be ironing out the bugs and everything. But again, I, I don't think I've played too much since Saturday uh, to have experienced any of that yet. So, but yeah, like I, I mentioned, man, just to wrap it up so far, really enjoying the uh, the PlayStation 5, the big old kid that the J is and most likely always will be. Like I said, I'll be <laughs> in my Jordan 111s playing the PlayStation 100. Yeah, and uh, as a real maybe. quick side so, note here yeah, before we take a break too, as you guys hear uh, us do on the show frequently, I'd say we do like a little bit of a sneaker check. Uh, yet there will be none of that today because it's been horrible here in Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm guessing if you wore anything outside today, it was probably a pair of fucking boots. I busted out oh, yeah. these um, North Face boots. I showed you a picture. I have some black, really cool winter North Face yeah. boots. So those are those in Timberlands. Hey, yeah, those are my on and off uh, d- dynamic duo of Pittsburgh winter weather. Because as we record here on Tuesday night here in the pit, it's a beautiful snowy night. We're supposed to get anywhere from one to like seven inches or some shit uh, tonight too. So it's a winter yeah, wonderland so I here did the on same the thing. I podcast. Broke out a pair of the Gore-Tex fucking north faces today man because i i don't fuck with wet feet very well so <laughs> so i mean 
Yeah. Yeah, no Jordans. Yeah, Dude, I haven't even we'll worn do, the uh, like 35 this, well, Warriors yet. I was going to be a smartass and say at this point, when the fuck are you even going to get to wear them this year? But the answer is probably in two weeks when it's 70 degrees again, because that's how the weather is here in Pittsburgh in December. It could be anywhere from 70 degrees to like negative 20, depending on the mood of the, the fucking season. I was saying that to my sister. I, I can't remember if it was last year's or the year before's Christmas. And we were at my parents with all my cousins and everybody. And it could have been Easter. We were all outside. Yeah, it I, I wore shorts we on Christmas on a couple of years ago it was in beautiful. Pittsburgh. So fucking crazy. Yeah, I think man. that was two years but ago. Yep. It's that so. time of year. So we are going to take a quick commercial break, guys. We've got a huge show for, show for you, as I mentioned earlier. But uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, it's time to get into the befuddling week that was nfl week 12 so we'll be back right after this on the what's real podcast the unsung by churchill pictures in an old industrial town a homeless man roams the streets looking for a place to rest when he comes across a young girl in danger he runs to her aid and as a kind gesture she leads him to a homeless village where he is inspired by the friendships he makes there soon he finds himself involved in a search for a serial killer while running afoul of the lead detective and the law. Churchill Pictures presents The Unsung, directed by Damian Fusca. Hi, this is Ed for the What's Real podcast for Churchill Pictures film Deference. Churchill Pictures' first feature film is now available to own in a hard copy format. The film is available on a USB flash drive in exclusive collector's edition packaging. To order for free today for all What's Real listeners, just email LLC at gmail.com and get your copy today for free. Just pay the price of shipping. That's LLC at gmail.com. And we're back, and as we mentioned, it's time to get into some NFL Week 12, a.k.a. if that's what you really want to call it. Uh, So let's get down to it, the J. Let's just do some fantasy stuff. I'll just get to this and say that my week's not finished yet. I'm uh, winning currently 102 to 89, but uh, the guy that I'm playing still has Ben Roethlisberger to play, so I'm probably going to lose, so I'll just leave it at that. But your game's finished this week, the J, so how'd you do this weekend? Yeah, unprecedented here. Hey, you know, the NFL week's still going on during our recording. Yeah, uh, unprecedented times. Just from week to week, you never know what's going to happen here on what's real. But um, if we could have a very quick, just a second here, I'm not going to take up too much time. Moment of silence as the Blue Dragons, my one of two fantasy football teams, their corpse for the 2020 season is on the raft, and we're going to set it out here on the mm-hmm. lake. And oh, the, hold on. Let me light this up. There we go. We're lighting the arrow. And you could shoot two. that to Jay anytime you want to do it, man. Here we go. Viking horn and to Valhalla, the blue dragons of the river's edge league go for 2020. Yeah. Literally down the river, down the river here in the pit. So, Cool, cool news here with the purple-headed Warriors. So the only team really remaining for the J this year, even at four and seven, I'm in seventh place. How about this? Hey, you know, randomly this week, week 12 in fantasy, I beat this league's number one team, 142 to 112. Not too shabby, man. How about what, that? Uh, so who who blew up for you this weekend, man? 
Mahomes, Mahomes had a hell of a game, almost 500 yards. Yeah, 462, three touchdowns. <laughs> let, let me just throw this at you, too, just for a little bit of measure. Uh, so Tyreek Hill fucking blew up this weekend, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. I would know you that. played him. Oh, yeah. He had 47 <laughs> points yeah. just by himself. He got a point and a half for his backflip on the one touchdown. That- that was tremendous. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of pissed, obviously, because I was playing them. But uh, I was very happy because I like it when everybody basically tells Brady and the Bucks to go fucking stick it up their ass. And that's pretty much what he did this weekend. You still have Gronk, right? Hell no. He's been gone, of course. Oh, okay. I got I got rid of him game. way before he did anything this season. So that's <laughs> probably why I'm I'm doing as great as I am. Yeah, he broke a Hondo yards uh, this week. So, yeah, I, I just had a really consistent week with my team. Like, everybody had, like, 15-ish mid-team points, and then Mahomes leading the way, you know, with the big big chunker. Yeah, that's enough to get you up in the buck 40 area, man. That's for sure. Yep. So, so, that's a good so yeah, win. weird weird, uh, weird league this year, but it is what it is. Still having fun, and, you know, along with our power rankings and, and the way the Steelers are doing, I'm, I'm still enjoying the NFL, um, which we can be positive right now because I think that's going to – take a turn soon yeah hopefully so uh this is normally the part of the show where we talk about the pittsburgh steelers game and we were planning of course to talk about the pittsburgh steelers versus the baltimore ravens we really can't do that because they have yet to play that game it is scheduled to be played tomorrow afternoon at 3 40 as you guys know we record on tuesdays so you'll be listening to this on friday or after um It's been incredibly frustrating, to say the least. Um, The NFL is just terrible. Let's just be honest here. Uh, They are doing everything flying by the seat of their pants. They're doing it with very little regard for safety, I feel like, Um, even though that's their their reasoning for doing all of this. Um, I also heard Adam Schefter say yesterday, he kind of explained the process that the NFL has doing this stuff. And they basically do damage assessment. They try and figure out how many people have the virus, uh, how many people have been in high risk situations around them. So you're base. It's basically being exposed that certain teams are either not being as careful as they need to be. Uh, the strength and conditioning coach for the Baltimore Ravens just blatantly disregarded uh, protocol and withheld symptoms from the team. Um, this is a problem. And if the NFL doesn't get a handle on this, this could really affect them even being able to finish a season. I hope they realize that. I'm sure they do, but like it sure just doesn't seem like it. Again, this correlates with how so many different entities are doing dealing with the coronavirus era where there's just no consistency. Hey, y'all, it's like no rhyme or reason. So you have two running backs started this for the Ravens to tested positive. And then they get to the point where now they've postponed the game twice. Those guys that started the whole thing are eligible to play. Then you have the Denver situation where for those that don't know, the Broncos quarterbacks were caught without masks and 
none of them and, could play all four. Well, of them. And there, there was one quarterback that actually has COVID-19 and the other three were just deemed within close contact. So close proximity. Yes. Yes. So they, so Denver this Sunday had to play with a wide receiver that used to play quarterback in high school with his first pro start. And uh, you know, all things considered, God bless him, but you know, ended up doing horrific. As, as anybody would in that situation. For, first time in NFL history, too, that uh, a quarterback had more interceptions in a game than he had completions. There you go. So those are the results of this mess. And and again, just my point, no consistency there. Like, why are you punishing Denver like that? You're still making them play, but you're, you're giving the Ravens all these, you know, two postponements. And then, you know, Harbaugh is making himself look like a, a jackass. Yeah, because they will. Here's what's gone on in the past week. Uh, Everything that we just said, of course, has been part of this. Uh, There was also news that before the game was even rescheduled to Tuesday, that the the Ravens were closing their facilities until Monday morning. Um, So it's like they're deciding what's happening here. And then there was a bunch of stuff that said that um, they were worried that a handful of Ravens players were going to refuse to play. Um, you know, and they have something for that in the NFL. That's what a forfeit is. Um, this has just been handled so poorly from the jump, from all angles, except for the Pittsburgh Steelers. To me, I feel like the Steelers have done a very good job overall trying to do with this. And I understand these guys complaining on social media. I've seen a lot of people saying, like, oh, it's a virus. You should, you know, quit bitching. But it's like they understand that because they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're following the protocol. And in turn, what do they get out of it? Games canceled. Time with their family has to be switched around around the holidays. Like a bunch of stuff that is independent of playing sports or working. So I understand the frustrations. It's just a shitty situation all around. And it and then I know this is a very minor thing, but it's not to me and the J. It fucks up our show. You know what I mean? Like this is something that we like to do on the show. It's something that we think that our listeners enjoy. Um, and it kind of fucks that up because now here we are, and this is something that we don't do. I don't know how many of you guys pay attention to this, but me and the J don't like to do big long segments and tell you about some stupid movie that we hate or to spend 25 minutes ranting on teams that we think suck or because we'd rather spend our time telling you guys about things that we enjoy, that things that you may want to check out or things that you may want to, you know, give a chance as opposed to like, this is the bitch session. And that that's what this segment's turning into because we don't have a fucking game to talk about this week. So it sucks. We're all about having fun here on what's real. And that's the thing. It's like, how weird is it that the game times Wednesday at three 40, you know, we were joking the other day talking like, why did they say fuck it? Like, let's just let's get crazy. Let's do a 343 start like 340. Like who came up with that? And that's why I said Roger Goodell, he could t- turn into Jane Goodall and just go live with gorillas at this point with the way he's handling things. And and then on top of that, we have a Monday game at five. Yeah, the week after yeah so that's so, so who knows know. basically here's something else that i'm kind of apprehensive about can we like next week on the show we'll hopefully have a review of the ravens game and hopefully we'll have a review also so a double game review where we review the ravens game and the washington game which is 
stupid that we have to do two games on one. Well, it's fine. I mean, I'm not complaining. It's just weird. Yeah, that's yeah, the theme it, of this episode. <laughs> weird. Yeah, weird shit. So, I don't know. It sucks. It's unfortunate. I think the, the the Steelers do have a gripe. This is not the first time this has happened to them this season. They've had, at this point, this is their fourth game cancellation, even though a lot of those were used up with the Ravens here in the second game. But the same thing happened earlier in the season where the Steelers got their bye week taken from them. Um it's unfortunate and it sucks. And there's also been word too, that if something would happen where they would have to create a, they they do have time set aside to have an 18th week. If there is game cancellations and it's been said that if they do that, then they will also expand the playoff field and the team who has the number one overall seed will no longer have a buy. So is this going to be the third or however many times this, this season the Steelers are going to get fucked if they have that number one seed and then they're like, oh, you don't have a bye. It's like, you're killing us here, man. Yeah, again, no no fairness or consistency at all. Mm-mm. It's and just That's, that's what gets frustrating. It really is. So, but yeah, I mean, we have to deal with it as NFL fans and, uh, you know, at least the season isn't completely derailed at this point. Hey, you know, it's still trucking along, um, you know, barely and who knows in the next few weeks, but we'll just have to see. We're riding it out here on what's real. That's for sure. Absolutely. So now with that being said, it's time for our weekly power rankings. Now uh, you have to keep in mind that the Steelers and Ravens have not been figured into this at all. It's essentially like they've been on a bye week uh, and the and but we'll do it the same way we did, uh, you know, the last time this happened, where next time in our power rankings, the Steelers and Ravens are going to most likely get credit for two different games. So that's yeah, the best the way, way we is. could do it. We're it's the only the punches, fair way. Yep, we're trying to do it the best way that we can. So let's get into it, the J. What's real NFL power rankings 2020? Those two worst teams in the league, I'm assuming not much has changed this week, but uh. It is time to tune up the band, so we might as well get that out of the way. And we do still have our <clears throat> famous punk band, the Subway Rats of New York City as well, helping out. They're still here. Yeah, That's amazing. Here. Wow. Thanks for sticking around, guys. I appreciate that. <clears throat> Conductor. New York Jets suck. Terrible. The Jets are 32. Hey, you know. Are they going to lose every game this year, do you think? We were talking about that last week. I said uh, they might slip in one win was was what I was saying. And I know what you went with the um, they're going to go over. So we'll stick to those predictions. And 31 this week, the J, because I have the Jets at 32 as well. 31, any changes or is it the place so nice they had to name it Jacksonville? Yeah, it's those shitty cheapo wannabe cheese puffs. The Jacks, J-A-X yeah. at 31. <laughs> <laughs> That's that was good actually. And let's keep it up with uh, the orange theme here and same yeah. playing. Yep, number thirty, the Bengals. Same, same. Not a damn thing has changed. Who do we got this week at twenty nine? The J. Our boys, the Cowboys. Same, absolutely. So we're we're four for four here. Uh, twenty eight this week, the J. Who do you got there? This is where I dropped the Lions. Same thing here, man. They just. Uh, well, and it's it's really not that big of a surprise anyway, because something else noteworthy's happened in Detroit since our last show. Their general manager and their coach, Matt Patricia, has been fired. Yeah, and rightfully fired. so. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, and dude, they somebody brought this up. Uh, Jim Caldwell 
who was a previous coach for the uh, Detroit Lions, obviously did not light the world on fire. Um, But somebody brought this up last week. They said if the Detroit Lions and Matt Patricia won their next 24 games in a row, Jim Caldwell would still have more wins and a better win percentage uh, as the Detroit Lions head coach. Wow. And when I heard that, I'm like, yeah, he needs to go. So Yeah, I mean, he got to. It makes perfect sense. So I pull up the ESPN uh, power rankings just as a reference to have on the background as I do. And I just think it's pretty crazy because as always, man, me and you obviously don't talk about this at all. And theirs is a, a consistently different than, than what we came up with. And we had the uh, the same with the top five worst teams here. So just wow. thought that was pretty cra- crazy. Heat, you know? Okay. Um, great minds think alike, as we consistently say. But dropping into number 27, Ranking on this week's power rankings for the J, I have the Philadelphia Eagles at 2-7. Okay. See, we have a, a little bit of a difference here, so that we'll start this off. Uh, this week at 27 is where I have the Chargers falling. Now, this is the reason why, too, the J. I don't know how much you've paid attention to the Chargers this year, uh, but we both talked about hard knocks, right? And I actually like Anthony Lynn a lot from watching that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But, dude, he's a really bad head coach from what I've seen this year. He just doesn't do the right stuff. It just some really bad decisions, and it kind of makes me wonder if he's a big reason why they, they've only had, you know, mild, and that's putting it nicely, mild success this season. It's been pretty Especially bad. with with Herbert doing what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, he's taking them to a new level offensively. I mean, he has – rookie quarterback records he's going after and um at this point is closing in on 2700 passing yards already so yeah and i mean dude his touchdowns are crazy like especially for a rookie like i mean dude everybody was talking about joe burrow and joe joe burrow's had had a really good season before he got hurt justin herbert's season's significantly better yeah he's looking really good but that that can do nothing but help that franchise moving forward yeah Totally agree. So moving up to 26 this week, the Jay, who do you got here? It's perfect timing. Hey, yeah, that's where I had the chargers 26 this week is where I have the Washington football team. Um, other than a few offensive or I'm sorry, defensive linemen, man, this team is a mess. Yeah. They're coming up for me at 25. I have the Denver Broncos and that's where I have the Eagles. Okay. 24, 24, the Bears dropped a lot. Woo! You know, we're hanging hanging tough with that goofy record, but they're just not looking great. I watched a significant amount of that game um, against Green Bay this week. They just look like shit, and that's why they're ranked 24 here. 24 is where I have the New York football Giants. They've actually won four straight games. Um, but here's the bad thing. Um, it looks like Daniel Jones might be missing some time, and if that's the case... It's all over there in in New York, and New York's leading the division. Crazy. Um, 23. 23, hey, Eel, our Michael Jordan number. I have the Washington football team at the 23 slot. 23 this week is where I have the Denver Broncos, the quarterback-less team from this past weekend. Exactly. Uh, Next up, I had a team you already mentioned at 22. This is where I placed the New York Giants. Like you said, on a bit of a streak with the four wins, but unfortunately uh, I don't think, uh, you know, I think Jones's injury is obviously going to derail that winning streak without a doubt. And at 22 this week is where I have the Texans. All right. But Jay's lucky number. Hey, 21. This is where I place the kind of varying from week to week 
Carolina Panthers. The same. That's funny because yeah, that's they're just uh, they're just not getting it done. I mean, I, I think this is a team too that's kind of in a flux situation because you know Teddy Bridgewater's had a pretty good season for them. They're they've had a major injury uh, from McCaffrey pretty much all season too. Um, so it's going to be interesting because they could go either way after this season. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, like where they get, who they get in the draft and, and what they decide to maybe do in free agency. Cause they could, they could be better next year. Yeah. There's potential there. That's for sure. And McCaffrey's injuries is, is not helping out because he's just not played a lot this year. Exactly. So, and they're paying him a lot of money. So uh, at 20 this week, who do you got here? The J. All right. Top 20. Hey, you uh, this week at the 20 spot, I have the Minnesota Vikings. See, at 20 this week is where I have the San Francisco 49ers. Who do you got at 19? Okay. Drop into the teens. I place the Houston Texans at 19. 19s where I have the New England Patriots. 18? All right. 18. I have the Atlanta Falcons at 18, um, who came up a little bit for uh, their struggles. But, you know, at 4-7 and seven, and still a capable offense, uh, they rose above some of these other guys. And this is where I have the Chicago Bears. Next up at 17, the J. Just got to quote our man, Chris Berman. The Raiders. <laughs> you do it way better than I do, hey, yo. The Raiders. <laughs> 16's where I have the Falcons this week. And, All right, that's where I put the 49ers. And who do you got at 16? Oh, I'm sorry. You said 16 twice. Uh, I'm sorry, my bad. 17's where I have the Falcons. <laughs> All right. And 16. Um, and then 16's where I have the Niners. This is where I have the Vikings. Now we're getting to the top okay. 15. The Jay, who do you got in at number 15 this week? Yeah, these ones were tough. I actually thought about this a lot. Um, and at the bottom of this clump of like middle teams here in the mid-teens, I placed the Colts at 15. 15's where I put the Raiders this week. Moving up to 14 this week, the J, I have the Arizona Cardinals. Okay, that's where I put the Pats. 13 this week, I have the Rams. And that's where I place the Cardinals. At 12 this week, I have uh, the Bucks falling a couple spots. Okay, I put the Browns at 12. At 11, I have the Miami Dolphins. Okay, this is where I put the Ravens. All right, now we get into the top 10, the J, so... At 10 this week, I have fallen a little bit, but not out of the top 10. That is the Indianapolis Colts. Okay, think more highly of them than I hate you, which I think more highly of this team than you. At number 10, I have the Bucks staying in the top 10 still. Number nine this week, even though it was considered a bye week for them, I had to move them down a few spots simply because of what their record was. This is where I have the Baltimore Ravens. Okay, at nine, I put the Dolphins. Eight. This is a kind of a surprise. I still don't think they're that great of a team, but with a record of eight and three, I had to move them up into the top 10 for the first time this season. I have the Cleveland Browns at number eight. Okay. Yeah, I, I think way more highly of this team than you did. You mentioned them a while ago, but at number eight, I have the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, I just don't. They're just too inconsistent. You just don't know yeah, what version of that team's going to show up. And that's why, with that being said, I think that's why I fluctuate them so far on my list. Because one week they look like they're almost in the top five, and then another week they look like they're easily in the worst half of the teams. So, And don't forget, from top to bottom, the NFC West is probably the most competitive division absolutely. in the league. So I, I do agree with that. That adds there. to it. Uh, yeah. Number seven, I have a team that is 
holding on here, and we kind of talked about this recently, uh, their record is good, but there's problems here. Um, so they're basically in my top 10 because of their record. Um, this is where I have the Packers this week. Okay. Yeah, I'm close to you with that assessment, uh, but at seven, I dropped the Seahawks. Okay. Six this week is where I have the Tennessee Titans. Okay. Six is where I place the Packers. All right. The J top five this week. I have a team you already mentioned, the Seattle Seahawks. Okay. This is where I put the Tennessee Titans still capable. All right. Now, if you remember our list from last week, uh, as far as mine goes, a whole lot most likely wasn't shifting around. So again, this week at number four, I have the Buffalo Bills. I think we're going to be coherent here. Hey, uh, four horsemen style. I have the Bills as well at number four. And at number three this week, just like last week, this is where I have the New Orleans Saints. Ditto. Uh, Even though they got to play this week and they looked very, very good, I have in at number two the Chiefs, and I still have at number one the 10-0 Pittsburgh Steelers. Right with you. Hey, as you pre-for-mentioned, we just have to take into account all the bullshit that we thoroughly discussed that's going on and having the undefeated record and before the chiefs tied them here with the most wins still i keep the steelers at number one yeah i mean it's just the kind of thing where now i will say this with the steelers and ravens having two games taking into consideration uh from now until next week hopefully um and with just how much shaking up that could happen here uh in the next week or so with teams and who wins and who loses and everything else i could see these being drastically different next week for the first time in, in probably weeks, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun, man. It's one thing, as long as they can st- still, you know, keep the weeks going, um, I'm still having fun with everything as much as uh, they can annoy me with all the bullshit. Totally agree. So that's it. We hope you guys enjoyed our NFL segment. We have to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, guys, we are going to have one of the biggest segments on this show uh, of all time. We're going to be previewing Two new shows from AEW, that is Winter is Coming, and NXT War Games. We're going to be talking about part two of the Broken Skull Sessions with The Undertaker. And, of course, we're going to talk about the uh, Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. fight from this past weekend. So stay tuned for all that and much more. We'll be back right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey everyone, it's the J from the What's Real Podcast, here today to talk about ChurchillPictures.com. Churchill Pictures was founded by two childhood friends that grew up in Churchill Borough, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Jared Bajoris and Damiano Fusca began collaborating on their first feature film in 2007, Deference, winner of the Silver Ace Award at the Las Vegas Film Festival in 2012. Go to ChurchillPictures.com to check out our original trailers, documentaries, comedy sketches, the entire history of the infamous Backyard Wrestling League, UCW, exclusive independent wrestling content, and exclusive videos showcasing our next huge film project entitled The Marks. This includes an appearance from our character, the feature presentation, Johnny Starr, on the streaming talk show, Alone Together Pittsburgh. We are Churchill Pictures. Established from the bond of two childhood friends, we envision creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Churchill Pictures. Picture the possibilities. Go to churchillpictures.com today.
And we're back. And as I said, we have a ginormous segment here for you guys. Uh, combat sports and wrestling, if you will, or I just should say boxing and wrestling. Uh, first up, we're going to talk a little about AEW's Winter is Coming. Uh, it's this upcoming December 2nd, so this will already happen if you guys are listening. Uh, so we'll give some predictions here and see if see how well we do. Um, this is going to take place in Jacksonville, Florida at Daly's Place. Um, and here is the lineup. Uh, there's going to be a singles match with Dr. Britt Baker taking on Layla Hirsch. Yeah, whatever. Um, Chris Jericho is going to face Frankie Kazarian. Uh, that's basically just like a random TV feud from last week, but that could be a pretty decent match if they give it time. That's what I was going to say. That could be good. I just expect Jericho to get a decent, easy win, though, uh, mm. overall. that That's pretty much all they need to do on the show. Uh, Darby Allen and Cody Rhodes are going to take on Team Taz members, Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. Um, I really like Will Hobbs with them. Um, I think that's a good move. Um, it's just time that they, yeah, I think Team Taz kind of needs to win this match at this point because they've just been kind of fodder. And that's the thing, the, the way that things turned with Hobbs turning heel seems like they're going in that direction and like, you know, Taz putting Cody in the Taz mission and things like that. So it seems like they're getting their, their push up, uh, which, which I think works. Yeah. Dude. And, and just as a side note too, I don't know how much you noticed this. Did you watch uh dynamite last week when it was on? Yeah. I usually always watch dynamite. Okay. That's me too. Uh, did you notice like mugs were going crazy? Uh, over Taz. Yeah. Like people are like, Oh my God, like pe- maybe he's going to have another match, which I never thought at all. But uh, you know, it was still pretty cool. I mean, especially, you know, you're talking to two hardcore old school ECW fans here. Like that, that was kind of cool to see. Yeah, exactly. No, I like, I like his character at AEW. Hmm. I mean, he's been a really good mouthpiece. I just, his guys just need to get a little bit more love. It's weird because he has Brian Cage on Team Taz, too, and it seems like Ricky Starks gets the most TV time out of all of them. But I do think Ricky Starks is actually really good. Yeah, I like him, and he has good chemistry with Darby. They've, that's the thing about AEW. I, I like how they're able to pace their feuds a lot better than WWE has in, in the past like, It seems that way, years. doesn't it? it yeah, I like, think they take their time. They, the thing is, uh, you know, not to shit on WWE, they have a lot more content. And, and it's just a, a different infrastructure there. You know, the, the AEW, they don't have to worry about it as much. They're, they're, they're well-paced. But you know how that is, man, especially for us wrestling fans that have, have had to deal with so much oversaturation over the years with, AEW, with WWE's just consistent content, especially with NXT kind of floundering because that was always like at least a, a kind of salvage of the WWE product yep. in a lot of ways for us. So I just really like the pacing of, of AEW, you know, especially too with, the way they do their pay-per-views every few months instead of one every month and things like that. That's a bonus. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the less is more I, I kind totally of stuff. Agree. Yep. And then they give you these little specials, like what we're talking about here periodically, uh, whenever they have really long breaks. So like they kind of give you something else too. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's episodes of dynamite and then there's like these amped up episodes of dynamite that are better than the usual weeks. So I like that. I, I, I think it gives it a, a little bit of a different vibe. And it's it's one of the few ways that they can maximize their TV programming because I think they've done a pretty good job with that so far. Yeah. So uh, also there is a battle royal for the AEW Dynamite Diamond Ring, um, and it includes the following uh, people. It's MJF, Wardlow, Miro, 
Kip Sabian, Orange Cassidy, Sean Spears, Scorpio Sky, Matt Sedal, Mark Quinn, uh, Isaiah Cassidy, Matt Hardy, Sammy Guevara, John Silver, Alex Reynolds, and Adam Page. Um, I, I think that's pretty much guaranteed that Adam Page is probably going to take that one, I'm thinking. Either that or they're going to have somehow, some way within like storytelling elements, MJF some some way keeps. You know, I think the one the one thing this is just me keeps the ring thinking out loud. Uh, But MJF and Wardlow both being in this match make me think that's not going to happen. I don't know why. Like if MJF was in this match by himself, I would agree with you on that. But him and Ward, I think Wardlow, this is going to be the first thing that happens. Maybe kind of like teasing something with those two. Yeah, he eliminates MJF. Yep. Or vice versa or something. Or by accident. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Or MJF eliminates him by accident or something, you know, Um, but who knows? Uh, I think that's pretty good, though. It's a decent lineup. There's there's a good I don't know. Let's see. One, two. I'd throw Orange Cassidy in the mix there, too. And maybe even a Scorpio Sky as an outside shot guy. But there's a good four or five guys, I think, in that that have a legitimate shot at it. So that's not bad. Gives you a little push. Yeah, not too bad. And, of course, the big match, the one that they've been billing the show on from the jump, it's for the AEW World Championship, and it's champion John Moxley defending against the number one contender, Kenny Omega. And the J, what do you think here? You think uh, this is time for Kenny Omega to, to walk away with the AEW Championship? I don't. With it being a TV match, I don't foresee that. What I do like about this, though, hey, is the fact that, you know, we get on WWE again with the, the COVID era. It is what it is with the recycled matches and same, you know, pairings a lot of the time in, in the last year, basically. And this was a match that occurred for AEW in the past. But like they mentioned, the gimmick of the whole thing for the first matchup was a unsanctioned match. So Remember I said that. Yeah, exactly. I, w- I was like, dude, I hope they build this up and they're doing the whole thing. We're like, you know, yeah, Kenny you called it like you can't beat me in a regular match. So I like exactly that. What they yeah. Did. So for it being a repeat match, not that it would have been a big deal anyway with these two. But nonetheless, I, I like that that kind of, you know, structure of the storytelling and, and things for them to have this second match. And for it to be, like you said, as opposed to the unsanctioned Moxley thing, because that's what kind of what Omega was playing up. He's like, you know, you. you I'm going to, you got to prove you can beat me without chairs and thumbtacks and all your bullshit. So, so I like that leading into it. And and again, to, to um, answer your startup question with how I feel, I feel like Moxley's run is still going to go on. And we were thinking initially that Omega was going to be the one to finally beat Moxley on a long reign. But again, with it being a TV match here and the way that it's been building up, I, I don't see it. Okay. See, this is where we differ because I think this is the match. You think where this Omega is it? Gets it? Nice. I think I think they're going to do it on TV on purpose because I think it gives a bigger profile to the win because more people will see it than on pay per view. Um, I think that also they're going to have Kenny Omega be the guy to carry the belt into next year. Um, I think we could be on the verge of a really long Kenny Omega run. I don't. I think that's one thing. Even though there's been two champions so far. 
they are being very measured with how they change that belt around. Exactly. They don't, That's what I'm they saying. They don't seem to like having their world championship change a lot. Which I like and a I kinda lot. Don't, yeah, I don't blame them for that because I think it builds stronger champions. I mean, for Christ's sake, dude, Moxley, I don't know exactly what the number is. I think the last one that I remember was 20, but he was 20 and 0. Like, that helps build a guy up over the course of a year. I mean, he was the number one wrestler, and I know it's kayfabe and all, but he was the number one wrestler in PWI's 500, yeah. and that's why. So, yeah. uh, but but I think Kenny Omega definitely gets the win here and goes on to be the champ from this point forward. So, I'm looking forward to it, man. It should be a, a cool show, especially because there's, you know, th- this is the the show they've been building up to in a lot of ways with a lot of different angles here for a while. It's cool, too, for peeps listening that are interested uh, since we record on Tuesday and this will have already passed uh, when our What's Real podcast drops episode 49 on Friday. You can see what our predictions here were like. Absolutely. So you can let us know. See, see who was right for the, the main event with our split split decision here. Split thoughts. And that's not it as far as the wrestling preview stuff goes, because now we're going to talk about NXT's next upcoming show on Sunday, December 6th. That is War Games. Uh, Of course, that's from the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. Here are the matches. First up, there's a strap match between two guys here, and this is sad. uh, The names themselves, I don't even know. And it's, I think I know the one. Now, you can correct me on this because you you would probably know better than me. Yeah, I know these dudes. Dexter Loomis versus Cameron Grimes. Is Cameron Grimes the the dude with the top hat? Yeah. Okay, so I know who that is. Dexter Loomis, that's the dude Sam Shaw, right? Yep. Okay, so I do know who these guys are. I have no idea what to expect out of this because I don't watch NXT most weeks. I don't know how familiar you are with these two guys, the J. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of Grimes. Uh, I don't even know how good of a match this would be. Yeah, I'm thinking it's not going to be a great match, you know, especially adding in the strap match between these two guys in particular as well. You know, there's certain guys, like we talked about that Daniel Bryan and Bray Wyatt strap match that came out of nowhere that really surprised us. The way they worked it was good. I don't foresee that with this this and this matchup. I don't. I haven't seen too much of Dexter Loomis at all. I've seen a significant amount of Cameron Grimes catching NXT, and he's all right. He's more of a comedic character. He's been doing a lot of comedy uh, during this feud, uh, watching the last two NXTs. Um, kind of recently, I watched them back-to-back in my office on DVR. So, okay. so we'll see. You know, I think it, it, it could turn into something entertaining. I, I think both guys do have potential. Yeah, I, I don't really know. Um, I thought the Sam Shaw gimmick was good, but I have not really followed him as Dexter Loomis in WWE. Um, and I don't like Grimes. I'm just not a fan of the gimmick. I don't think that he's anything special. Um, he, he totally strikes me as, and I'm not even trying to shit on Bo Dallas when I say this, because I, I, I really like Bo Dallas at one point. But he just strikes me as that type of guy. Like when he gets moved up on the main roster, he's not going to be anything and he's going to be without a job in like a year. So uh, also there's a triple threat match for the NXT North American Championship as current out of nowhere champion Leon Ruff will defend against former champions Johnny Gargano and Damian Priest. Um, I was kind of surprised to begin with, obviously, I think like most people that they put the championship on Leon Ruff. I'm still not very familiar with him, um, so I don't know really what they're trying to go with here. It seems to me, though, that they're going to just, you know, give the belt back to either Johnny or, or Damian Priest here, but I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't know too much about him either. I did see the match that he won the belt off of Gargano. And basically okay. what the storyline's been is that Ruff's wins over Gargano have all been assisted by Priest. So, you know, with him being in a triple threat, that kind of shakes up the storytelling uh, and things like that, you know? So so they could have him keep because of that, too. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah, because yeah. they, they could, it's almost like they take each other out, Priest and, and Gargano, and then Ruff comes out of nowhere. Like, he's, like, outside roughed up, pun intended, I guess, and you forget about him, and he, like, sneaks the win or something like that. So so we'll see. But, yeah, I don't foresee this being any any sort of a barn burner. And, and talking about the first two matches here, um, yeah, it's kind of a, a lackluster start. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, and then we get two War Games matches, a men's and a women's. In the men's match, we are going to have the Undisputed Era, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, and Roderick Strong taking on the team of Oni Lorcan, Danny Birch, Pete Dunne, and Pat McAfee. Um, McAfee did a pretty good job the first time around, so I'm definitely curious to see how he fares in a War Games match. <laughs> yeah. But he's in there with four really good dudes, like, you know, across the ring. So there's no doubt that I know that he could do it. It's just I'm very curious to see what they do with this one. This is going to be good, and this is pretty much the whole reason to watch the show, of course. So um, yeah. I'm going I'm to check it out, though. I, I've kind of been in the mood for, for wrestling. It's one of those things I always talk about, the mood swings and – kind of being in and out of of the WWE product as a whole and even NXT recently like you and I talk about so yeah and also we have a war games match for the women where team Shotzi as in Shotzi Blackheart Ember Moon Rhea Ripley and uh yet to be determined uh competitor very well could be uh announced on NXT uh tomorrow night again we record on Tuesdays uh, taking on Team Candice, of course, that is Candice LeRae, Dakota Kai, Raquel Gonzalez, and Tony Storm. Um, so that could be a really good match, too. I'll be curious to see who the fourth member is of Team Shotzi. Um, definitely has potential to be a really good match. There's a lot of decent competitors in there. Um, I'm also assuming, too, that there's potential that uh, the the to-be-determined member of Team Shotzi is going to be Io Shirai as well. That's what I was thinking. It makes the most sense with storytelling and, and things that they've been doing. So, and, so yeah, and I'm all in on match. that. That I mean, if if Eo's the the fourth member of that, uh, that that might be the best match. Yeah, of that's night. a strong strong women's team. So it'll be interesting to see how they they break up the the war games matches too. If they do the women as the opener and the main, men's one as the main event or something like that, bookended like they've kind of been doing on the main cards, or yep. it could be vice versa. You know, the men could could open. I mean, they could. But yeah, I, th I think that's going to be the best match hey, of the men's war games, but we'll see. Like I yeah, said, I'm you never kind of curious to check out the show. It just uh, it depends on the way they're booking a lot of this stuff. That's why I'm actually having a Always. hard time making any sort of predictions on this one right. because I don't watch NXT week to week to even kind of get a flavor of the booking that they're doing. Um, but I will watch the show. I think that on paper it looks pretty good. It's definitely interesting, and you know, it's it's there's a lot of reasons why I want to see the show. So I'm not complaining. But I will say this. Compared to just an AEW special dynamite, if you're really comparing the shows, I think AEW looks significantly better, though. I agree. I, I think there's going to be better wrestling there. But uh, again, the War Games matches do have the potential to be pretty damn good, dependent on, like, like you mentioned, it's always on the booking and, and time and things like that. But definitely could be good uh, War Games matches. 
totally agree. So while we're on the topic of NXT and, of course, the WWE, let's keep that theme going. Uh, we also mentioned this week that we we're going to talk a little bit, well, not a little bit, a lot of it, uh, about the Broken Skull Session 2, Part 2, I should say, with The Undertaker. Uh, if you guys haven't seen this, of course, we're going to break down some spoilers because that's just how it is. Uh, we did review Part 1 of this uh, weeks ago on the podcast whenever they did it. I should say months ago at this point. Um, because they did a, a pretty good part one. So I was looking forward to part two. I'm not going to lie. I kind of was expecting it to be disappointing. But overall, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, but let's just get into it. Uh, the J here, I got a whole list of topics in my notes. Uh, yeah, I thought they this started, was awesome. Yeah, this was really good. They started this one off talking about kayfabe and basically how The Undertaker stuck to it for so long and, and how it feels for him to finally break kayfabe and start doing interviews and stuff like that, uh, which, if you remember, the J was all kind of started uh, around part one and then, obviously, the last ride. Yeah, that's really where it started, where he mentioned that with his impending retirement, which he knew he was going to be hanging up the boots soon. And he was kind of hanging by a thread. Like he, he fully admits, and we'll get into it. I don't want to take us out of order, but you know, he fully admits in this, that th there was matches that he realized like he should have never been doing. And once he was that far in, he kind of had to do it, but he realized like, you know, I gotta, I gotta hang it up soon. And with all that, he, he mentioned like now it's time he, he wanted to have footage. And, and that's why he like threw that idea out there to have the documentary team kind of start following him around and stuff. And like you mentioned, that's what started the whole thing. Yeah. And it, it was pretty cool too, because the one thing that I liked a lot about this one was, you know, at the time where they did the first one, Taker still had stuff going on. WrestleMania hadn't happened yet. Um, so there was still more work for him to do in the realm of the WWE ring, so to speak. Um, this time around, it felt a lot different, this interview. Um, he was more willing to, to go peel the curtain back a little bit and to also talk about some of his most vulnerable times in the WWE, uh, which I thought was really interesting. That's kind of what made this one to me so good. Um, the one thing that was funny, too, of course, because as they do on here, they start off with a shot of Jack Daniels. And uh, by the way, I don't know how much you were paying attention, but like they threw a few back during the oh, course I was of this dying. interview. Yeah, you know me. I'm much bigger drinker than you are, so I was enjoying that. And uh, I, it's funny too. I could throw this and disclose this is perfect timing. Hey, Eel, but the distributor right near my house, the beer distributor, actually got. El Segundo Brewing Stone Cold's uh, beer. No shit. So I was able to try it. Yeah, I brought some for uh, for my brother in law, who you know is a big um, hop head. If you yeah, will. I would I would actually want to try that stuff. How it's was good. It? It's it's good. It's a smooth IPA. It's an IPA like so many of the craft beers are. It seems like everything's an IPA anymore. But, yeah, uh, it's a Ugh. it's a good IPA. It's kind of like a brown, uh, you know, kind of Newcastle ish version of IPA, okay. but it's smoother than a lot of IPAs that that I've tried. Um, you know, especially with my brother-in-law, who's like a connoisseur with all of it. So well, it's, dude, it's pretty good. That's one thing I always remember even taking it back a few years to when I was listening to Stone Cold's podcast all the time. Uh, I remember him talking about that and even because I'm not a big IPA guy. And he said that he wasn't either until he kind of tasted this brew. And then it was like this. I actually really like this. It, it like he was even kind of saying that it's like an IPA for people who really aren't into them. Exactly. So, I would I would but, agree with that. Yeah, I'm definitely interested. I'd like to try those sometime too. So that's that's cool that they're finally coming around in the area. Just to yeah. know that. And and then I have a question for you, the Jay. It kind of coincides with this. 
so you tried that. When are you going to be trying the Undertaker wine? That was hilarious. <laughs> I, I love the way he built built that up too. He's like, you know, he's like, you're a, you're a Jack guy. Go back. He's like, like you, beer. He's like, he's, you ribbing me. He's like, you kayfabe. And me? like, you could tell Undertaker didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. Yeah, <laughs> it was and funny. Then, then he busts out the Undertaker short. No, that's the other thing. You could tell Stone Cold's not a wine drinker. He's like, oh, and it looks like it's a Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, he's like, trying to say Cabernet Cabernet Sauvignon. That's hilarious. Uh, so they, yeah, they brought up the Undertaker wine, which was funny. Um, this was something that I thought was cool. This was the first time that I really heard the Undertaker kind of expound on something like this. But him and Stone Cold had a really interesting conversation uh, of their lack of personal relationships because of wrestling, number one, and also because of who they are because the level that they've reached in pro wrestling and they both kind of discuss how they, they both had realizations that they couldn't just have personal relationships with people because it wasn't always legitimate. You know what I mean? Like whenever, whenever you're Michael Jordan, it's kind of hard to make new friends because everybody likes Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? And they kind of expounded on that and the family aspect of things, which was cool because it's, I've heard stone cold talk about it, but that was the most I've ever heard the undertaker talk about like that particular topic. Really, really cool for me personally. Hey, you know, cause I won't get into the whole thing, of course, but you know, as you know, with uh, pursuing professional wrestling as, as a career in a, in a lifestyle overall, basically at one point in my life in my early twenties and, and going to the WWE's tryout camps and things like that, that is one of the first things you see when I, I always told you, it was like the dream becomes a reality yep. and you realize that you realize that you have to give up your life basically. Well, not even basically you have to give up your life to, you know, especially if you want to be at the top of the top, you, you have to give up everything. Triple H always said that, you know, if you want to be in this industry, especially in the top tier of the WWE, you have to eat, sleep and breathe professional wrestling and you can't do anything else. And that was one of the things that, that made me kind of realize that it wasn't going to be for me um, to pursue because of just that. And, and I just had so many other things I wanted to do with my life than just one thing, but that was definitely a cool revelation of that perspective from Taker. Yeah. And they even really get into that too, because they, they talk about like how you turn it off during your downtime. And how difficult that was because you were always wrapped up in pro wrestling. So like even when you're you're at home, Taker even brought up the point where he's like, hey, it's really hard to just turn it all off and watch a movie because you're like, well, this, this fucking guy's getting over and yeah. I got to worry about what I'm yeah, doing. Can, you, like, can you, you imagine that? You can't even turn your mind off to just watch a movie and unwind. Yeah. He said he would come home, start uh, cleaning his, you know, doing the laundry, cleaning his outfits and shit like that packing his bag and just sitting there waiting for the the chance to get back on the road. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's basically what they did. I mean, that's still to a degree what they do to this day. Austin famously um, talked about that on his podcast where he's, mm-hmm. he's famously said it took him, he always calculated it at three years. It took him three yep. years after he re- officially retired from pro wrestling to feel like, as he put it, a normal civilian three fucking years. Yeah. Because you're so used you to going, 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 just the on the road, especially back in the 90s, you know, 80s into the 90s and, and the, the difference that the business was then and stuff and being in rental cars and planes and one city to the next and everything else that goes into the professional wrestling lifestyle like we're talking about. And that, that was yeah, definitely cool to hear from the, those two bullshitting about that. Yeah, because I thought that they brought some really unique points to it, especially because they've both been on that side of the business, uh, you know, on a very high level and just like everybody else on a very low level at one point. So 
Um, one thing that I really found interesting, because this is the first time hearing this stuff out of Undertaker's mouth, but they talked about the streak and specifically when Brock broke the streak. And they, I, I was amazed by this in a way, the Jay, and I, I think you might agree with me on this, that because I remember us talking a lot about this at the time, like when the streak was broken. And the reason why it was so surprising is because we always figured that if Undertaker was going to lose to somebody, it was going to be somebody that needed it, somebody that needed to be put over. They were the next big thing or what have you. And Brock certainly didn't need that. And it's it was kind of weird to hear Taker explain all this because even to this day, he kind of like and they make sure to say, like, you know, we both like Brock. We fully respect him. This is not a knock on him whatsoever. But like Taker was kind of even sounded like, you know, he was super surprised when Vince came to him and said about losing the match. But then he even says now, like, yeah, I don't really know if that was the right move. Yeah, really cool story. Really cool to hear from him how he mentioned he knew right away. So. When he arrived at that year's WrestleMania with everything that was going on behind the scenes with he and Brock's match, he was going over when he arrived. The streak yep. was going to live on and yep. he was going to go over Brock at that mania. The day of, he's sitting in his locker room and Vince came personally to his dressing room and he says in this right away, he's like, I knew as soon as Vince opened the door that there was going to be a big change because Vince never comes to you. He'll send somebody for you. Yep. You know, he'll have you come to, you know, you come to his office or whatever. And instead he came directly to Taker and Taker's dressing room. And he knew it was going to be something like groundbreaking or extraordinary. And that's exactly what it was. And Taker even says to Vince, he's like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? We're ending it. He said, yeah, I'm sure. So, and I completely agree with Taker's, um, uh, um, puns everywhere hit you a take on it that Brock didn't does you know not that he didn't deserve it like you said he just didn't need it and yeah, he, did. he he says in this that he really wanted to give it to Roman who you know Roman still gets that that win the the, the second loss of Taker at Mania but nonetheless obviously that didn't have the same impact as breaking the streak did and I, I never really thought of it that way until watching this and hearing Taker explain it so when he explained it I was kind of like yeah because I know like you mentioned hey Ed we were really wishy-washy on it like I think one day, not too long after that mania, I, I felt like it was the right thing to do and it was kind of cool. And then like the, the very next day, I'm like, ah, oh, they should have never did that. You know what I mean? And then I, yeah. I, I eventually as a fan, I was at peace with it. And, and the, the reaction still to this day is great. Like Stone Cold even brings up that guy they show right after the three count that has like the wide eyes and things like that. Yep. So it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but again, hearing takers um, perspective on it was definitely made a lot of sense to me and uh, you know, kind of put the whole thing in the light and you know, you, it makes you think like what could have been, you know, if, if they did have taker go over Brock that year and maybe the following year have Roman break it, what would have happened? See, I think they screwed up. Like they either should have just, I thought they got to the point where they should have never broken it. Probably just let it go down. In yeah. History. He kind of, he kind of alludes to that too. Um, it, but, he says that he's like, yeah, you could always kept it going. <laughs> I, I, I now off the top of my head, I don't remember what number it was as far as WrestleManias go, but I remember one year they built up a big feud between him and Orton. And I felt like that was the year. Cause this was kind of like when Orton was ascending, like he, yeah. this was years and years ago. And they just had Undertaker beat him. And I thought that that was a really big mistake at the time. And looking back on it, I still think that was probably their last big chance to do what Taker wanted to do, where it was like put a guy over that kind of needed it at the time that would have kind of 
sent him off into the stratosphere. Now, even though looking da- looking back on it, like Orton's become one of their longest reigning superstars. So it, it, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal one way or another because they were just, you know, anticipating on using him and doing a lot with him through the years. But yeah, it, it was kind of weird that they didn't do that, that they gave it to Brock. And I'm always going to look at it that way, but it's still always going to be a big moment. Just like no matter who he lost, that's how to I, that's that how one, I look it would have been it. the same way. And it's like anything, it can never be changed, man. It is what it is, you know? So that's what we have to live with, Vince's decision to do that. But yeah, that, that perspective was really cool. And, you know, we'll, we'll we'll go more into this as we bring up more moments from this. But this part here and, and moving forward starts to show The Undertaker, which, which we learned, of course, in the Last Ride documentary, his allegiance to Vince McMahon and the WWE as a company as a whole is just on another level. And there's all yes. kinds of different examples of that in this interview. And we're going to kind of get to that. So they finally bring up something that I was hoping they were going to bring up, which was Bad Blood 1997. And the reason, if you don't know why that is instrumental in the history of professional wrestling, because that was the night uh, where he would face Shawn Michaels in the very first Hell in a Cell match. And I thought this was cool, too, because when when Austin brought that up to him, the first thing that he said is that match was for Kane. That was strictly done for the introduction of Kane. And I get that. Looking back on it, that's exactly what it was. But it's also crazy to hear him say that because that's still to this day one of the best Hell in a Cell matches of all time. Oh, dude, you know me. That's uh, I'm a huge Shawn Michaels fan, one of my favorites of all time, if not my favorite professional wrestler of all time. Taker in pretty much his prime and this concept of the Hell in the Cell. And that's why like Stone Cold is so good on this, too. He did a really good job. I mean, he's a like, really he's, good interviewer, man. And he's like he a really kid is. in the candy store with Taker because he has so much respect for Taker. And just yep. him talking about the hell in a cell because they have like video packages and like a video wall that they pull things up like clips and uh, stills during the interview. And when they're talking about the hell in a cell, they have this still and it's an aerial shot of the original hell in a cell. And he's like, and look, you know, Stone Cold's like, look at that, man. Like, look how imposing that is. I mean, we did cage matches for years, but years, but this was the next evolution of it, you know? And uh, dude, there's an absolute 100% truth to that because that's something that we have experienced in person. We've seen cage matches. We've seen different, you know, structures and shit like that. The hell in a cell is wild. The first time you see it in person. It's great. Like it just, it's imposing as fuck. Like, and it's up there the whole show. So like you're watching a pay-per-view in person, no matter what match they're on, you're seeing that cell it's raised above the ring. So it's like this ominous thing, like, cause you know, it's coming and that's the match that we're all here for. Every single hell in a cell show that they've ever done has been built around those specific matches so when you're there in person, that's what you came there to see. And there's just a constant reminder in your face all night by this big fucking structure above the ring. It's crazy looking. That's why this portion of the interview is iconic because they're talking about the first time. You know, it's like the first time yep. ever. And of they course, didn't it's have, John Michaels. They didn't have stuff like the the cutout holes in the fence. Like it was, it was completely in its infancy. They didn't really know what they were capable of and what they could exactly. do. So like there there wasn't really even a plan like we've heard that before too that they were never really planning to climb on top of the damn thing they just did it so yeah. it worked but uh, and then that leads to of course with this match this was the introduction of Kane 
uh, as we said before. And this is, you know, say what you want. I mean, Undertaker's had a bunch of different feuds and he's feuded with a lot of guys. But at the end of the day, one of his biggest feuds of his career, without a doubt, is with Kane. They fought at multiple WrestleManias. And, uh, but this was kind of their first run in in their very beginning of their feud. And uh, it was something really different. I remember that specifically because this was like one of the first times, like they'd kind of tried it with doing the double undertakers. I felt was similar to that, but it's done to a whole different level because Kane's obviously legitimate. Um, and he lasted for a really long time in pro wrestling, obviously. Uh, but this was really unique in that they, they brought this guy in and gave him a gimmick and, and set up a feud with Undertaker. Like everything was all done to culminate with this feud. It was just really impressive the levels that they went to, to like get a guy, put him in this gimmick, build him up for weeks with Paul Bearer, then have him debut at the Hell in a Cell in the way that he debuted. He basically caused Undertaker to lose that match. Then they built that up from, that was, I want to say October of 97 until WrestleMania 14, which was in March of 98. So it was a huge buildup, all for this one character to face off with the Undertaker. He says in this, it's probably in the top, you know, however, you know, call it top 10, top five, even longevity storylines and things like that that WWE's ever created, the Undertaker Kane thing, and created so many, you know, varying moments over the years. And I guess this is a good place to bring this up, which was a very interesting side tidbit to me, where he talks about, this is the first time I ever heard this personally, how they found Kane. And oh, it's Unibomb, and, and yeah, he got a call. Yeah, he got a call from Jim actually. Cornette. Um, yep. So Jim Jim Cornette called Vince McMahon from Smoky Mountain and said, "Would you mind bringing Taker down here to work with uh, a guy called the Unibomber that I have?" And Taker says, uh, "You know, he told Vince sure he'll do the favor." He goes down. He said, "You know, he's living in Nashville at the time, so it wasn't like you know this huge like hindrance or anything." So he goes down and works with uh, Glenn Jacobs as Kane, the Unibomber, and he just knew right away. Well, no, he's no, like, he, man, this he dude would, can do it. He was just Unibomb. That's what they called. That's right. Yeah, Unibomb. So, and it was done like at the time. Uh, Jim Cornette worked for the WWF, and he was doing booking and stuff like that. So they had a, a talent agreement with Smoky Mountain. Uh, we've even seen that in the past. Like for example, at Survivor Series '93, there's a Smoky Mountain tag team title match on the show. Uh, so they, they were doing like talent exchanges and stuff like that. So occasionally Smoky Mountain would build up to these big shows. And what they would usually do is they would bring in a major player in, in WWF uh, undertaker was somebody that, you know, the match against Unibomb. There's another really well-known match. that's really good. It's a good feud too. Shawn Michaels went down and fought buddy Landell, uh, who was one of their main dudes at the time. They had a great match, really good stuff by Buddy Landell. So it was really neat. And basically what it, the reason why it was done is because when Smoky Mountain would do these big shows, it was basically their equivalent to pay-per-views, even though they weren't on pay-per-view. It was to pop a big house. So they would go work a bigger building, like the Louisville Gardens or something like that, bring in Taker, draw 15,000 people. You know what I mean? Right. Like that kind of a thing. So... Uh, but basically, as you said, Undertaker worked with Kane as Unabomb and Undertaker's like, shit, man, I can make some money with this dude. So he made the call to Vince and said, like, let's do something with him. And that's and Vince was smart enough to listen to the Undertaker in that instance to the point where they built this giant thing around Kane. You just got to look past the first fuck up from Vince making him a demented dentist. Mm hmm. 
Isaac Yankum DDS. So, and as we talked about, they would go on to, to have their very first big match at WrestleMania 14. Now, that's not why I bring this up. The reason why I'm bringing up WrestleMania 14 is because they brought up a story on here that I was legitimately surprised they brought up. And that was the story that we've heard for years where at WrestleMania 14, everybody knows that Stone Cold won the WWF title from Shawn Michaels. At the time, Shawn Michaels wasn't in the best place physically, mentally. He was on a lot of painkillers at the time, and he was just kind of an asshole. Um, didn't like doing business, and he would change uh, finishes all the time. And a lot of people were worried at that point that he was going to come in that night and change the finish of the Stone Cold match. And the rumor always was that Undertaker basically taped his fists up and they told it a little bit differently. I don't know. Yeah, if I was going to say, I've I heard, heard different versions. True or not. Right. So the, the way that I always heard it was like this was Undertaker went to Shawn Michaels, said, you're going to lose the fucking belt tonight because I'm going to be in gorilla. I'm taping up my fucking fists. And if you don't lose the belt, you're going to see me right when you come through that fucking curtain. Now, Taker told it a little bit differently where he said he taped his fists up and went to gorilla which was kind of weird in and of itself. Like everybody would notice that kind of a thing and basically said that if Michaels didn't do business, he was going to go out there and beat the shit out of him and make him do business. I don't really know how that would work. Like you're not going to be in a situation where like Michaels wins the match and then Taker comes out, punches him in the face and then makes him lose another restarted match. So that's why I think the way that I heard it originally was true. Um, but either way, I was really shocked that they addressed this in any way on here. And I was really glad because even Taker was like, you sure you want to talk about this? He's like, oh, yeah, I want to talk about this. So I give him credit for doing it because it's a good story. And it's definitely it's true to some regard. So I'm glad they told it. That's what I was going to say. The only reason I don't think the version that you had heard that you had just said, hey, you know, it was true was because then he later says that Sean came to him, you know, he talks about how their relationship ultimately changed yes. and they became good friends. And, um, you know, this is after Sean Michaels obviously <laughs> got clean and everything else found God and, and this and that, and him and Taker got cool. And, and Taker even says like, I love him now. And he said, Sean, one day, since they had this newfound relationship, positive relationship, one day it got brought up and he said to Taker, like, you know, is that whole rumor, is that true? Were you going to come out and try to beat me up and whatnot? And I guess he said he lied through his teeth and said, no, no, no. And just kind of brushed it off. It, like the first time Sean ever brought it up to him. So if he would have threatened him from the version you heard, Hey Ed, then that, that story would be a lie too, you know? And I don't think he was lying about that. So I feel like he just did what he had to do. He sat in gorilla. He didn't say anything to anybody. Cause they even talk about, he didn't even talk to Vince about it. He just yeah, kind of just had that dedication to the industry and the company. And he talks about that. He said, you know, look, we needed th the next guy to, to have a rocket on his back, like for business. Like that, mm -hmm. that only helps me and all the boys. Like Shawn Michaels doing his bullshit and going to business for himself isn't going to help anybody. Well, so that's you, why he did what he did. It, you might as well say, too, that, that that WrestleMania main event is the thing that essentially turned business around for the WWF at the time because they were losing horribly to WCW up until then. Yeah, until uh, Austin so, started. So imagine what would have happened if Michaels would have hijacked the finish of that matchup, and it could have been the thing that really sank the company and made it so they never made it over WCW again. Um, so, you know, that's a, it, it's, it shows a little bit of intelligence as far as business goes with Undertaker. Uh, it's not that I don't think, obviously, that Michaels was trying to do business. I just think Michaels was a fucking mess at the time and yeah. really needed to go home no matter what. And it's a shame because 
He was working at such a high level, but when you find out the reasons why he was working at that high level, you realize that it's something that's unsustainable. He, he wouldn't have exactly. been able to keep that pace. And, and he wasn't say, he able to died. keep that pace. He was doing that shit since like 95. So that's what really fucked him. You know what I mean? He was he was broken at that point. Remember, he had all the back problems. That's what Taker that said. He's like, what? The, he, the he didn't wrestle. Match. Yeah, he didn't wrestle for another five years after the mm-hmm. WrestleMania 14 main event. And Taker brought that up. You know, he's like, what What good's Sean going off with the belt or doing whatever? He's going to be gone. So yep. they, he, he knew that they needed to get the, the strap on Steve. And it kind of led into another similar situation that they brought up. And I was really glad that Austin brought this up, too. It's something that I'm overtly tired of hearing about, but not from the perspective of The Undertaker. And that was the very, very infamous Montreal screw job. Of course, that's the finish of the 1997 Survivor Series where Vince McMahon and company decided to take the WWF title off Bret Hart unknowingly because he was getting ready to leave the company. He refused to do a job to Shawn Michaels on that pay-per-view. So they essentially switched the storyline around behind his back and took the belt off him. And this was a thing at the time. Now, this is something I really wanted to talk to you about, the Jay, because we lived through this. We watched this live. We were reading, you know, the newsletters and shit at the time. Like, right. This was, for me, a period where I really got into the newsletters. We were doing the stuff online anyway, but the newsletters really came into play after the screw job. Uh, And, of course, the Wrestling with Shadows documentary for Bret Hart. There's a lot of stuff that exists pertaining to the screw job. But hearing what The Undertaker had to do or what he decided to do was that after he saw what happened in this match, he literally beelined for Vince McMahon. And he was going to he was like, hey, you better go fucking talk to Brett because this is bullshit. And that's exactly what The Undertaker said. And Vince was essentially on his way to go meet Undertaker or meet Bret Hart at the time, which would lead to Bret Hart punching him directly in the face and knocking him out cold. Um, But it was cool to hear that because remember, we always heard how many dudes in the company were like, pissed off ready to like i remember mankind was somebody that like left uh yeah of course all the heart affiliates you know bulldog left and got out of his contract night did the same thing owen tried to but they didn't let him but they ended up keeping him, him off tv for a while and he ended up coming back to be uh michael's opponent at uh, the degeneration x pay-per-view two months later in december Um, but yeah, it was a really weird time. And I also think that's why they did the next night on raw that, you know, famous Brett screwed Brett thing with Vince. Like he had to address it on television because a lot of fans and a lot of people, even we were pissed off. We were like, this is bullshit that they did that. It's not right. And there's two sides to every story. And, you know, eventually everything comes out and it was just a, just a mess of a situation. It's one of those things where nobody's going to win kind of thing, you know, and what happened happened. But, <laughs> but, but again, this, no, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, it's wild though. What's that? Vince did win by doing that because that's yeah, essentially that's what created point. the Mr. McMahon character. And right. the, the, Brett's the one that really lost out because he went to WCW and that was a horrible failure. Michael's was a success, but he would end up being out of the ring for a significant amount of time. Not even a year later. And then Vince was the one that made out completely because when, you know, Brett went to WCW and Sean was out of the business altogether, he was working main events with fucking Austin. Exactly. No, that's a good point. But yeah, it all, it all just encumbers the fact that with Taker being in character and taking such a deep part in kayfabe for all these years that all these classic wrestling stories, you finally get to hear his perspective yes. on. Absolutely. And that's what came out. And that's, you know, that's like the point and of the it's, take on the screw job. 
Dude, it's kind of neat, too, because, like, one of the things we've said on the show many times is, like, we'd love to get, like, a closer perspective to Vince McMahon, because that's the one thing that they've kind of kept away from you. Yeah. Um, but it's weird to hear Taker talk, because it's it's almost like a surrogate to Vince, because he's as close as any wrestler really has been to Vince during periods of time that we don't hear about as much, you know, as opposed to, like, 1985 WWF shit. You know what I'm saying? Like that nineties period for a lot of periods is, is down business wise. So it just doesn't get the type of attention that it would normally uh, compared to other eras, like the attitude era and stuff like that. So, but undertaker is the key to that time period to hear about stuff that's firsthand with him and Vince. Exactly. He was, he was at the, you know, the ground zero of so many things through all yeah. those years, 30, 30 years. Again, that's what's fun about doing this on the podcast as we've done a couple other segments um, this year on this being the, the final official year of Taker. You know, it yeah. just all comes into fruition and it's just really cool to reflect. And this was a great interview. Absolutely. Now, just a few more things I wanted to talk about. He brought up the Bone Street crew in detail, which I thought was kind of cool, kind of giving some props to Yokozuna, which I thought was nice. Because we always kind of said, too, that like Yoko carried a time period that people don't talk about enough, again, because business was down, but they did a lot of good stuff with Yoko. Exactly. Uh, They talked about the flight from hell, which was really interesting. So that was kind of cool, especially to hear him talk about (laughs) putting flair out on the flight, which was hilarious. Um, Of course they talked about the fight where Brock lost to Cain Velasquez, where the undertaker was there in the crowd. And it's kind of what I always thought that was like undertaker was there and they were working an angle. Basically he didn't come out and just say that, but that's pretty much what they were trying to do. But I think the fact that he lost that fight to Cain Velasquez really fucked that up at the time. Yeah, because he even says how where Undertaker was in the crowd from where Brock was in the cage, Brock had to like kind of go the way like a way that he wouldn't have gone if if he hadn't known where Taker was in the crowd. Yep. So that kind of was like the tell, you know, the the tell on that. Uh, Of course, I know this is something you would be interested in because it was probably the one thing they talked about on here that I was the most interested in. But getting Undertaker's specific perspective of the Hell in a Cell match between him and Mankind that we seen live in person. That was really amazing stuff. We said we're going to do a, you know, for lack of a better, you know, working title, we'll say story time segment in the future here on the pod. And that's definitely going to be one of them is our personal experience together with our buddy Gus in Pittsburgh at Hell in a Cell 98 watching this match. But the takers perspective with this, um, was saying stuff that I never heard before. The out of body experience. The out of body experience and the one where he said he he's like, I thought he was dead. Yeah, he was waiting for my angle, he said it looked like he landed on his head. Yep. Like he didn't realize he went because it's like Stone Cold said, like we had always said, all things considered, he landed pretty much the best way you can. Yes. (laughs) All things considered. Other than that stupid chair, that was really bad. The chair hit him in the face was just Jesus Christ. Like how yeah, much shit falls. could go wrong? In exactly. One match? And, and Taker, and, and then that's the other big revelation in this where he says during the choke slam, he had kind of picked up in his mind oh, how yeah. the, the chain links were breaking. He could see him kind of flying off the top of the cell. So he said he just last second when he picked him up for the choke slam, because he said the choke slam was supposed to happen, but obviously Mick wasn't supposed to go through. He was just supposed to choke slam on the cage. And he realized at the last second to step back 
onto the main base of the structure that yep. like actually had foundation. And that if he didn't do that and adjust cool. his footing as he did, he would have fell through too. And he said it would have been catastrophic. He would have fell on top of Foley and both of them would have been just fucked. And it was already bad, bad enough because with all the stuff that happened to Foley, Undertaker had a broken ankle in that match. <laughs> yeah, we were saying earlier, uh, he has a broken ankle and he brings that up because they which, show the clip of him coming down. He like kind of like stumbles on it and he's like, yeah, and I had a broken ankle. It wasn't obviously as bad as what Mick was going through. <laughs> and dude, that's something I also remember because that's something that I had heard or read online before we went to that show. So I wasn't, I was thinking this was just going to be some stupid gimmick match because Taker was fucking hurt. So like it wasn't I wasn't expecting Shawn Michaels and Undertaker again because I knew Undertaker couldn't do that with a with a fucked up ankle. Um, but of course we had no idea that we were gonna get what we actually got from that match. Like I said, or like Jared said, um, you know, we'll give you guys that one day here that full story in detail on the show because it was uh it was something else. So uh just two more things I wanted to bring up about this. They brought up the uh the elimination chamber where we got burned by the pyro which was crazy as fuck to kind of see and hear his perspective on that because crazy. that was bad and it was almost worse than what I originally thought. Yeah. I mean, he could have died from it. And I like his perspective too with the pyro guy, because he said, look, things, things happen in life. You know, things happen. Like I get that. Yeah, he's, mistakes like, happen. I, he's like, I talked to this guy two weeks before this and I told them that the bursts of fire were getting too close. I was feeling the heat and the guy kind of talked him out of it. And he said, no, they're placed right. He's like, that might be a draft in the building. So two weeks later, when the show comes on, he almost, you know, gets really fucked up. He gets these third degree burns. So he had to send somebody in the back to the pyro guy to tell the pyro guy to get the fuck out of there or something was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's how pissed he was at him. And, and he, he said, I felt like I, I deserved, you know, to get me some. And he's like, you know, if, if that guy was back there, there would have been potatoes thrown. That's for sure. Or something along he, those lines. He's absolutely right. Cause that's exactly the way I'd feel about it too. Like I already warned this fucking guy about it. He told me not to worry about it. Now I got third degree burns on my arm. I'm going to go back there and choke him till his eyes pop out of his head. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, another really cool revelation. And of course you can't talk about the undertaker without talking about Paul bearer. That was really nice. It was really cool. I like I like the segment that they showed too. That was funny as hell. Yeah, he starts pulling Stone Cold's pants down, <laughs> and you could tell Austin's like, "What the fuck?" Like he <laughs> like he got hot for a split second, and then he realized yeah. it was just a joke. Yeah, but uh, like, these pants come off. But it was it was really cool to kind of hear their history. Like a lot of people don't realize that Undertaker, as uh, Texas Red, actually fought Brody. And uh, Paul Bearer was his manager at the time as Percy Pringle. Yeah, I never uh, knew that. World he said class. that in that, uh, that Japanese match. Oh, the tag match where like, he tagged with Harley Race. Yeah, we're like two of his early highlights, which the, uh, both the of Texas, those I knew nothing about. The Texas Red Brody matches on YouTube. You can watch that. It's really not anything to write home about. He's green as fuck and... Brody just, you know, pounds the shit out of people. That's basically just what his offense is. So it's worth it if you want to check it out. If you guys are interested on in seeing a very young Undertaker face off against Bruiser Brody, just look up Texas Red or Undertaker versus Brody on YouTube and the match will come up. It's definitely uh, worth checking out if you haven't seen him at that point before. But, uh, but overall, dude, this interview was really good. I actually liked it better than the first one because they got into a lot of the wrestling lore and some of the stuff that I thought they 
they didn't touch on on the first time that they really, that Taker really couldn't do or wasn't comfortable doing at the time. So it's just nice to see them pull back the curtain. And it also helps too, to have somebody really good, like Stone Cold doing the interview because he, he does a good job anyway on these, but the fact that he has a personal relationship with Taker makes it that much better and much more interesting. It was great. And like you said, they're doing shots and you could tell they were somewhat buzzed up. I mean, they're big dudes that can handle their shit, but um, that was a funny side of it too. They were just, like I said, man, Stone Cold was like a kid in the candy store during this interview, you know, a lot of smiling and laughing. Uh, really cool. He, he even gave them that um, custom made Undertaker old uh, Eagle belt. Yeah. That the, they're selling black. Yeah. I might have to look into that, man. Shit. That'll be fucking 500 bucks. Easy. <laughs> yeah. easy. So I wanted to throw this at you real quick, hey, because we're celebrating okay. 30 years of Taker, and yep. I had stumbled upon this. I thought it'd be cool to wrap up the segment with and throw it at you real quick. Okay. It's uh, the Undertaker's best singles pay-per-view matches, according to Dave Meltzer. So I'm going to throw them okay. at you real quick, hey, because okay. uh, it's a countdown from 10. I thought it was pretty cool. All so right. number 10, the Undertaker versus Edge at WrestleMania 24, which Dude, was you, fucking awesome. You and know what's Meltzer weird? Meltzer gave four and a quarter stars. So I told you this before, but like I've watched wrestling consistently since I was about five years old. Um, but there was a couple years I didn't really watch it all. I was just completely out of the product. I had other yeah, shit. Yeah, you fall out at times. Yep, and I, I did the same thing. That was the time period where I just was not watching at all. And I've seen that match. I just don't remember it well, but obviously I need to go back and check it out again. It's been a yeah, while I remember since it being I've seen really it. Good. It's been a while for me too. The number nine, the undertaker versus Brock Lesnar at Hell in a Cell 2015, four and a quarter stars. That's a good um, match. Which of course this, this list made me want to take it and, you know, probably run through a lot of these that I haven't seen in a while. Number yep. eight, of course, what we covered undertaker versus mankind king of the ring, 98 hell in a cell, four and a half stars. Number seven, The Undertaker versus Edge at SummerSlam 08. Uh, this was That's another a, one I didn't remember much. That does not strike a bell to me, so I might have to go back and check that one out. Yeah, it's a, it's another Hell in a Cell, four and a half stars. Okay. Um, number six, The Undertaker versus Triple H at WrestleMania 37. That was the... Um, oh, no, That's I was going to say that was that... That was the the no holds barred match. That's the year that like he took up for Michaels, kind of like my, you know what I mean? Like Undertaker, yeah. he's like, you know, like Sean couldn't beat you, but I can. You exactly. Know? It was the year before the end of a, an era match. Yes. Um, number five out of ten, the Undertaker versus CM Punk at WrestleMania twenty. That match is really good. Four and a half stars. Of course, one of my favorites of all time, if not the the Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania twenty five four and three quarter stars. That's a great is match. number four, and then the top three. Hey, yeah, according to Dave Meltzer, the Undertaker's top pay per view matches: the Undertaker versus Shawn at WrestleMania uh, twenty six four okay. and three quarter stars. Number two, the Undertaker versus Trips, uh, which we were just discussing at twenty eight, the end of an era match, four and three quarter stars. And number one, according to Dave Meltzer, that me and you just gushed about as well, so we might be in agreement. The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, Bad Blood in Your House, ninety seven five motherfucking stars. Yeah, that's the that's Taker's best match of all time to me. Absolutely, that's, Love it. there's yeah, it's just so good. I, it's even been a while since I've watched it, but I remember the last time I watched that match, it was kind of the case of like, wow, this is this is like better than I even remembered it being. So, it's and I've always held that match in high regard. So, it's really good. So, I hope you guys enjoyed that. That is, of course. The Broken Skull Sessions Part 2 with The Undertaker, currently available 
on the WWE Network. But that is not it, guys. We are not done. We have another segment here, so let's just get down to it. This past weekend, we saw the Mike Tyson-Roy Jones Jr. card. So I'm going to give you guys some results. We saw Jermaine Ortiz defeat uh, a guy's name I can't pronounce via 7th round TKO. Badu Jack defeated Blake McKernan via unanimous decision. Uh, <laughs> the match that we or the fight that we've talked about a lot on here, Jake Paul defeated Nate Robinson v- via second round ripping his soul out of his chest. Dude, I called that. <laughs> we were talking last week previewing this event, and you were saying how it's tough to predict Tyson and Jones because there's no uh, official. Um, judges and you can't knock somebody out and when we brought up the jake paul and nate robinson i'm like well this one is a sanctioned fight and somebody could get knocked out in this and look and what boy happened did <laughs> they dude now of course as we've said many times on here the internet is definitely undefeated and they they have no mercy okay i saw so many fucking memes for this the best one that i saw i don't even know if i sent you this one was somebody like it's the shot of him being knocked out on the mat from above that they have. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's somebody made it the new NBA logo. <laughs> <laughs> I should the literally is undefeated. I let me see, because I just want to see your reaction to this or at least hear your reaction. I'm gonna text you right now a picture of the fucking NBA logo as Nate Robinson basically in a concussion. It's dude, when I seen this shit, I was crying for like 10 minutes. Okay, I just sent it over to you. I want to see your reaction to this. Okay, we got it here live on the pod. Pulling it up on the old iPhone here. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, the internet truly is undefeated. Hey, y'all, that is excellent. We'll have to post that on the Twitter. Now, it's no doubt in my mind, I'm not going to sit here and act like, you know, Nate Nate got fucking outboxed in a 12-round technical masterpiece. He just got caught with a fucking haymaker from hell, like right on the button, and it got him so bad. But, dude, it, you know, of course, even Floyd Mayweather came out in defense of, of Nate Robinson this past weekend because, yeah, it's funny and we do have fun here. But, hey, man, I don't see a lot of you fucking guys out there fist fighting people. It's <laughs> just no said. joke. So you, yeah, you like, put your like ass on the people, line doing this. Yeah, a lot of people um, in the know, you know, in the fighting game and in the combat sports realm, we're, we're saying, you know, in all seriousness, anybody that's had the balls to step into a, a cage or a ring on that level uh, is owed respect and you know it could be funny i mean i was laughing at this stuff too but i definitely respect nate robinson and anybody that's going to put their health on the line like that yeah Um, and and yeah like you said man it is what it is i mean we we called that in the preview it's just a complete fucking train wreck you know aspect to it that you wanted to see you know like like you mentioned we i kept like almost like fucking you and fucking with you in a certain way like kept bringing it up like don't forget about jake paul and yeah Nick Robinson. Hey, yeah because <laughs> yeah, because of course me being the knicks fan we got to take l's even when the knicks aren't playing you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. uh now of course the big story was mike jones or mike jones Mike Tyson, <laughs> Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. Uh, the the fight ended in a draw, but that to me really wasn't the story of this one. Um, I wasn't expecting a whole lot out of this, but dude, I'll be honest, I thought it was actually really good. I thought Mike Tyson looked fucking outstanding. Uh, Roy Jones just tried to box and just didn't 
you know, he didn't look like he was really out to prove a whole lot. But Tyson wasn't playing, man. And, I, you know, for 54 years old, he lost 100 fucking pounds. I mean, dude, Tyson's a beast still to this day, man. I give both of those guys a lot of credit. And also, I got to give a little bit of love to the MVP of the show to me, which was Snoop Dogg on fucking commentary, who had had me dying. Yeah. I love, like, it's one of those things that adds to it so much, too, when... It's it's like I don't, I don't want to for lack of a better word right now like the improv aspect of it they're doing live commentary with how the other announcers were reacting and just losing it. Yep. Like even Marinello, you know, he was dying at times with his like, with his luscious locks. By the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, and that's the thing, man. Look at us talk about it with big smiles on our face and laughing. It was a, it was an overall good show. It really was. You know, the undercard wasn't horrible. The Jake Paul thing again. It's like that train wreck uh, moment during it. And then, uh, like you like you mentioned, man, Tyson just looked like a beast. But Jones Jones did his thing, and they they talked about it after the match. Like Jones was talk, talking about those body shots, how hard Mike mm-hmm. was hitting them, and he he was feeling it. You know, and you could tell. So. Tyson and, and again, like the playing. purses were going to, to charity, which was a good thing to see. So, yeah, and it's it. There could be potential uh, for a rematch. Also, Mike Mike Tyson starting like the Legends of the Ring thing. So, you know, there there is more stuff that's going to happen. I'm sure we're going to see Tyson do some more stuff like this, which I'd have no problem with. I actually had fun with it. Um, you know, it's just something cool. It's definitely capitalizing on the nostalgia. And if obviously dudes are in the right type of shape to do it, uh, you know, and guys are getting paid to do it, man. Hey, uh, more power to them. Yeah, just a very, very entertaining little thing here. And like you mentioned, Tyson might have something on his hands with this uh, Legends League kind of thing idea he has. So we'll see moving forward. But like we always say, man, we love entertaining content like this. And I, I enjoyed you know watching this at the crib Saturday. On my lonesome, hey, I missed you, brother, but we got yeah. got a social distance. But yeah, it was a, it was a fun show, man. And like you said, Snoop had me dying. He was talking about his uncles fighting at a backyard barbecue and started yeah. singing after <laughs> Nate Robinson. <laughs> uh. and, and do you know that um, Lil Wayne was supposed to be the one? Yeah, doing he it, knows something happened it. with him. Yeah, yeah, so they brought in Snoop to the rescue, man. Way way better option anyway. So I think so too. So. I thought that all worked out. It was much better than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, to be it was. Honest. It was fun. I was. So you know, my my wife was out. She came back. She's like, "How how was that?" I was like, "I'm still up. It's twelve thirty. Yeah, you know? yeah. I enjoyed it. It definitely. Uh, it was it, fun. It, it was fun. Definitely nostalgic too, which was kind of cool because it's been forever. I mean, fifteen years at least since Mike Tyson's been in the ring. And you know, we've talked about it on the podcast here before. Me and you both are definitely Tyson fans. So. I'm definitely happy to see him do this and I, and I'm I'm going to look forward to him doing some more stuff. So we'll have to see how that turns out. But uh, guys, hang on. We told you it was a long segment. We are going to take a quick commercial break and we come back. It is time for Thursday Night Prime series finale for the season, I should say. Not for good. Uh, we'll be back. We'll explain why and all that. And oh, more. shit. What? There are those explosions. Hey, yo, wait I'm a minute. Hit the bunker, man. Dude. Fuck this. Look, there's fucking ninja stars over here, dude. Let's we have to get the dude. Let's get the fuck out of here. All right. We're gonna get out of here. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. 
The IWC, the International Wrestling Cartel, presents the third annual Pittsburgh Pro Wrestling Classic, December 5th, 2020, from the Court Time Sports Center in Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. All tickets are $25. You will see the IWC tag team titles defended in a ladder match as the champions Money Shot defend against the main event. And the IWC World Heavyweight title will be defended in a steel cage matchup as the IWC World Champion Champion Jock Sampson defends against Jack Pollock. All this and much more on Saturday, December 5th, 2020, bell time at 7 p.m. at the Court Time Sports Center. That's the IWC International Wrestling Cartel, third annual Pittsburgh Pro Wrestling Classic. It's time for Thursday Night Pride. That's right. It's time for the season finale of Thursday Night Prime. This week we are talking Enter the Ninja 1981. Real quick, hey y'all. Um, explain to the peeps out there why we are ending Thursday oh, Night Prime okay. for the month. So basically what's going on here uh, is this is season one of the What's Real podcast. Season two starts uh, in January 2021. So we're coming to the season close. Uh, we are doing our last Thursday Night Prime of the season because for the rest of the month, we're going to be doing Christmas movies uh, of all types. Like, don't expect us to do It's a Wonderful Life. Like, we're going to pull out some some different stuff for you guys and not uh, not necessarily the things that you think we'll be doing. So check for that. That's what we're gonna how we're going to ride out the rest of the year. But uh, but with that being said, it's it's time, man. Thursday night, so Franco time. Nero, motherfucker. I think that's oh. his first appearance on TNP. Absolutely, yes. Uh, and this is from director Manhem Galan, of course, from Galan Globus uh, Productions, uh, to go along with the famous Canon Films, because this falls in under that uh, umbrella as well. But uh, Galan has done some stuff that people may be familiar with, such as the Apple Delta Force and the Stallone classic Over the Top. Um, so he has done some stuff. Uh, of course, this movie stars as the Jay said, Franco Nero. We have his arch enemy or his nemesis in this movie, Sho Kajugi. Of course, Susan George shows up and you don't get her without her husband, Christopher George, in one of my favorite roles that he has oh, ever hilarious. played. Um, so basically this movie, now this is another one of those movies that uh, on the surface seems like it's incredibly complicated, like convoluted, uh, you know, subject matter, but it's really not. So it's after completing his training of ninjutsu within Japan, an American Vietnam veteran by the name of Cole visits his war buddy, Frank Landers and his newlywed wife, Marianne Landers, who are the owners of a large piece of farming land in the Philippines. Cole soon finds that Landers or that the, the Landers are being repeatedly harassed by a CEO named Charles Venarius, aka Christopher George. Venarius. Now, it's kind of funny because I don't know if you thought about this, the Jay. How funny is it that this is basically, and this is not the same type of movie at all, but this is basically the same movie that we saw last week in American Ninja Two. Very it's similar. Just I thought a about different that. way of doing it. Yep. So. Now, the thing is, this movie is a vehicle of sorts for Franco Nero playing our hero, Cole. 
Um, of course, it, it lends its hand to allowing uh, Christopher George to ham it up as Venerius. In a, and, in a kimono. Uh, Kish- uh, yeah, which is amazing. That, that whole scene's amazing <laughs> yeah, where the dude keeps getting slapped in the face <laughs> and shit. Like, he doesn't talk to th- him directly. No, yeah, and he keeps doing it, and the dude just smacking the shit out of him. And it's funny because at one point in this movie, it is like a running joke that everybody just smacks the fuck out of. And let's let's this say he's called the hook. Siegfried. Yeah, the hook because <laughs> he has also a, a hook for a hand, a hook hand. Yes, it dude. This movie is so awesome because it just it has so many of the marks that we love here on Thursday Night Prime. Yes. Like you have the hammy villain. You have the fucking, you know, the stone face, baby face character, you know. You have the hot chick and Susan George, of course, who's great in this as well. Show Kajugi, because he gives a little bit of that ninja flavor to everything, kind of wraps it up perfectly. And then what you have is a bunch of really cool ninja fights that don't really have any reason to happen, but they're all a lot of fun. And you get some really hilarious shit in this movie. Uh, of course, the introduction to the hook is pretty hilarious. And basically, Franco Nero, uh, he, he gets this crew together. It's Frank Landers and his wife. And it's this old man who has so many funny lines in this fucking movie. But the reason why this is so funny to me, do you, did you realize who this guy was? Who, Dollars? Yes. Will Hare. He is the crazy grandpa from fucking Silent Night, Deadly Night. Oh, that's awesome. I, did, I didn't realize that. And it's funny because in that movie, he's basically like a can of catatonic weirdo. In, yeah. a home. <laughs> in this one, he's just a nutcase, like, which is great. Uh, but dude, the, the first thing that I wanted to bring up, cause we brought up Siegfried, who is a recurring character in this one. And every time this dude is on screen, it's fucking hilarious. But the first time he encounters Franco Nero in the bar, and he gets slapped in the face a bunch of times. Franco Nero puts his hook into like a wooden plank in the wall and he can't get his hand out of it and shit. Like <laughs> it's such a goofy scene, but it's so fucking funny. And it's just, it, it works because like he see, that's, what's cool about movies like these. You got like the villain, right? And then you got like this lower level shitty villain who they just abuse the shit the out game. of the whole movie. Yeah, the goon who yeah, never that was, does anything right. <laughs> that was my funniest part was the second interaction between Nero and the hook where he completely takes his hand off and then the hook's like Throws walking away. He's like, hey, you forgot something. He's like, you forgot something and throws it at him. It's like, it's like, the fuck is going on here? Like dying. Oh, but dude, yeah, the old hook hand Siegfried in this movie just becomes such a classic through the running through. But uh, the one scene, dude, I, I like couldn't contain myself during this. So they're working on this farm. And at one point, all the people leave because they're just pissed off. It's like they end up coming back and they're like, oh, we're back. And he's like, oh, Luis and Cynthia and the dude has a rooster in his hand and he's like ah and you girl and he takes the rooster and he like holds it above his head he's like let's have a cockfight time for a cockfight oh yeah there were so many goofy moments like that like where Nero and um 
in in Frank or you know it's like after they got in that huge fight and they got out of it and he like has all the adrenaline like oh that fight got me pumped up I feel like a million bucks and then they start getting like all serious and he starts telling them how um you know Marianne he's like Nero's like don't don't you want to have kids or something he's like oh well Marianne's a great lady and she wants it all the time but I just I can't get up get it up for her <laughs> anymore so I'm like I'm like what the hell dude it just came out of nowhere it's, there is a couple funny like things like that like whenever Franco Nero first shows up to the Lander's house, like, I guess the wife wasn't expecting him. So she pulls a shotgun on him. And then like <laughs> the husband comes running out. He's like, no, he's fine. Don't worry about him, honey. So like she leaves and he's like, interesting old lady. You got there. Does she pull a shotgun on all your friends? And he's like, yeah, pretty much. That's what she does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so much of the, just goofy little quips throughout the whole thing. It's good. It's fucking hilarious. And of course they do this. And I like this in movies when they do shit like this. So clearly they, they show this bond between Franco Nero and Landers because they were in war together, like old war buddies. Okay. So what they do is, uh, you know, they, throughout the whole movie, uh, Franco Nero keeps like stopping the ploys of Mr. Venarius. So eventually he gets pissed off and, you know, there's a meeting with Siegfried and he's like, you know, this guy's difficult. And he's like, what do you need? And he's like, I need more men. So he gets some more men. It just doesn't work. Nero beats the shit out of everybody. But then finally, he's like, all right, we're going to get the dude. So they get Shokujugi to go in there. And it's like, and at this point in the movie, Franco Nero's like winning 100,000 to one. So, like, you can't really do much to make Kajugi look like a strong character except for the thing that most movies won't do, but they did it here where he flat out captures Frank Landers and fucking cuts his throat brutally in the movie to be <laughs> yeah. like, fuck your friend. Like that, that to me was like a reset because the movie yeah. is goofy and there's a lot of action and it's fun. But like, then the movie's like, yo, remember there's a fucking thing going on here. And from that scene forward, it's like, okay, no more fucking around. And I like yeah, that. Like, there's ninjas in this motherfucker. Yeah, like, and we ain't fucking around. We just killed your friend. Like, you're going to need to call all hands on deck. Because he, he takes that, like, spike thing yep. to the one dude's face. And then the one part's hilarious, that goofy-ass, like, you know, low-level villain with, like, the... Um, he looked like that dude from the WWF back in the day that would always like come out to break up fights with like the Hogan esque kind of hair. I know who you're, Rene Goulet. Had, like, or, no, no, it's uh, not. Ah, oh, fuck. What's his name? No, that, yeah, was I can't it Goulet? remember. I don't think so. But by any means, he Nero shoots him with blow darts. Yes. For like five minutes straight in the stomach, and it's like the goofiest death. There's a bunch well, of goofy deaths where like they overdie. That dude, like, ah. that Australian dude, gets fucked up multiple times. Like he basically <laughs> yeah. would just like maim him and let him leave, except <laughs> yeah. for that time where he shoots thirty five blow darts into his chest. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, fuck this dude. Like, like <laughs> and the dude's like standing there. He's getting hit with him. And he's like, fine. He's just looking at him all goofy. And then he looks down <laughs> yeah. and he's like, ooh. Like, it yeah. is great. I don't care. <laughs> and that, that was the funny part, too. Like, when they go to get Shokazuji and he's like, well, the only place I can get a ninja is Japan. And he's like, well, what are you waiting for? Then cut to a fucking plane. Yeah. <laughs> Dude has to go to Japan. And it's it's cool, so. too, because obviously this leads up to a big fight between Franco Nero and Kajugi at the end, which 
I'll to be honest with you here, man. Okay, the two things I'm going to say here. The end fight was awesome. And the way that Nero kills him is he monkey flips him and then stabs him with a sword. Okay. And now I got to give this movie an award for our segment. Because as you know, if you listen to the segment all the time, we always bring up how these movies have like a perfect Thursday night prime end. Okay. And this movie has the best Thursday night prime ending in the history of Thursday night prime. Okay. And it basically ends up being like, so Nero's leaving the country. He's done, you know, doing his job or whatever. And he's like talking to the guy at the airport. He's like, Oh yeah, we'll just have this guy come get your bags. He's like, Hey, come get Mr. Blows, Mr. Cole's bags. And who is it? But Siegfried who sees Nero basically shits his pants and runs away. And the movie ends with Franco Nero, like smiling, looking at the camera and then he winks at you. Yeah. Roll credits with the best fucking ninja music you could possibly want. Uh, Awesome. But dude, this movie fucking rules. It's a lot of fun. The characters are super hammy, which is great. It doesn't give a fuck. It's just blatantly sleazy when it needs to be. Um, the characters are slime bags. Fucking Christopher George as Mr. Venarius wins the MVP this week with by like just the spoiled whiny rich dude. And if you if you haven't noticed, it's something that I coined for this one. But whenever Venarius would show up with his team, like they come out of limos, I call them the Colonel Sanders crew when, in all their white suits. Because they, every dude has a white suit on and it's fucking, they all look like Colonel Sanders, which is hilarious. Oh, it was, there are so many great moments, like goofy moments in this. Like he, Venarius is teaching a synchronized swimming troop yeah. during this for no reason. He's like, all right, girls, let's get back to it. I, and like the one, the one part, like he keeps coming up to him, Hawk, of course, and he's like, this guy, he's he's like, did you do it? He's like, no, this guy keeps pulling my plans. He's like, one guy? Yeah. He's like, I sent you 100 guys. <laughs> so he's like, I'm going to go get some guys myself. And he rolls up to them dudes. And he's like, who are you? Who are you? He's like, I'm preacher. He's like, what do this you preach? This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can finish it, hey, Ed. Oh, uh, he's like, yeah, he's like, he's like, I preach doing what the man tells me. Or do, <laughs> doing what the man tells me to do and getting the job done. And, and he points to Siegfried. <laughs> And he's like, we'll kill him. And he's like, what? And he's like, murder him. <laughs> so he goes over to him and he's like, why don't you get on your knees, fat boy? And he puts the hook right into the dude's dick. <laughs> and then, and then Sieg, Siegfried just like smiles at Mr. Venarius and he smiles back at him happily. And then they're like, all right, so I'm going to say that again. What kind of guys do we have here? Pretty much all of them leaves. But I thought it was hilarious that Preacher stands beside, like, 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 no, no, yeah, I'm, I'll kill him this time. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, man. Uh, but, I was dying. But yeah, this movie's a blast. A lot of fun. That's why I picked it for this segment. I'm a big Franco Nero fan. I don't know if you realize this or not, the Jay, but Franco Nero is actually the original Django. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, of course. He would and, go on to eventually uh, marry Vanessa Redgrave. 
Uh, and from that point forward, wasn't really working as much as he had in the past because, well, he's just boning. He was rich as fuck now. So he really didn't have to <laughs> yeah. worry about that anymore. So, which is kind of a shame because I really like Franco Nero. He's he, he's actually the star of a bunch of, uh, they're called uh, Politecchi movies, which are like Italian cop drama, like mob crime kind of movies. And uh, they're all really good. They're ton of. They're full of ton of crazy stunts and shit. And they're all. They have like really good soundtracks and shit. So uh, I've been a big Franco Nero fan for a long time. And this is essentially. Uh, I know a lot of people might not put two and two together with this because they don't associate the two. But Enter the Ninja is definitively a grindhouse movie. It was playing on Forty Second Street pretty regularly in the early '80s. Uh, it's some of the more infamous theaters. And uh, the fact that it was a canon action movie that happened to have a ton of ninjas in it fit the bill for multiple theaters. So I also thought that was another interesting tidbit uh, about Enter the Ninja, especially because it's a little bit earlier than the typical Thursday night prime fare that we feature on the show. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great way to end season one in the what's the Thursday night prime run here on What's Real with Franco, Nero and Enter the Ninja in a just hilariously entertaining canon movie. And as I always do, hey, y'all here on What's Real, the tagline of Enter the Ninja, warriors of a lost martial art, hired assassins, human killing machines. Enter the Ninja. And absolutely. So for this one on our five-star rating scale, I'm going to go with three and a half this week. I'm right with you on three and a half. Hey, that was in my head. I'm just going to go with it. Three and a half for Enter the Ninja. So that is it for us here on this segment. And for season one of Thursday Night Prime, as I mentioned, Thursday Night Prime will be back in January 2021 in full force. We have some really cool stuff planned up for you guys. And of course, for the rest of the month, we're going to celebrate the holidays and do Christmas themed movies. And like I said before, it's not going to be quite the ones that you expect. So stay tuned for that. And I guess we can announce this one. The first one that we're going to do is actually a brand new movie. So I don't know what to expect because me and the Jay have not watched this one yet. Uh, we have seen trailers for it, and that's essentially what got it uh, on our radar. And it is different, to say the least. This is a brand new movie from 2020. It's from Isolm and Ian Nelms. It stars none other than Walton Goggins and Mel Gibson. It's a movie called Fat Man where a rowdy, unorthodox Santa Claus is fighting to save his declining business. Meanwhile, Billy, a neglected and precious 12-year-old, hires a hitman to kill Santa after receiving a lump of coal in his stocking. This movie looks insane. Um, right up our alley. and Yeah, absolutely right up our alley. So that's what we're going to be doing next week right here in place of Thursday Night Prime. So it's kind of funny because this is this is one that might actually fit the Christmas bill and the Thursday Night Prime bill, even though we're not billing it as Thursday Night Prime. So we're still trying to get a little fun in there for you action fans. So we are going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up the show and we're going to talk a little bit of goofs as we do here. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. This is it from the What's Real podcast for Height Apparel, your one-stop shop for fashion retail. For one-of-a-kind shopping experience, stop by Height Apparel. Founded by Eric Walker, our business brand is based around people who are of average height, 5'10 and under. We will have the season's greatest fashion picks. Whether you're on the lookout for men's clothing or accessories, stop by and browse our latest collection. That's Height Apparel, H-Y-G-H-T, apparel.com. 
Again, that's HeightApparel.com. Welcome to Goofs or Goofs. And it is that time once again, the J. What do we got this week on the goof front? We consistently say here on What's Real in the Goofs or Goofs segment, we will never in the history of our existence be lacking in goofs. So let's have some fun closing in towards the big five. Oh, hey, yeah, with episode 49 closing out. We're gonna Hard to believe, man. 50th episode next week. Crazy. So to start off, I sent you this viral video. Um, so this one's pretty crazy, and that's why I chose it. So YouTuber, a uh, famous YouTube guy, which, of course, hey, Ed and I are out of the loop on that. Not sure what he's famous for doing on YouTube, <laughs> but his name is Sa Fomba, S-A-A Fomba. He told his fans his goal was to chase his dreams and leave a mark. Well, he decided to scale a bridge, hey, Ed, and then jump from the very top. And of course, as you can expect, it did not go too well. This is insane. He jumps from this bridge and ends up uh, landing in the Colorado River. You see him on top of the bridge. He throws his fist up in the air as he waited for a boat to rescue him once he landed. And they could tell right away that he was hurt. And hey, well, that's why he's on Goose or Goose, because he ended up fracturing his skull. Yeah, it's surprising that he didn't kill himself, you know. Exactly. It's this reminds me of like the kid that jumps off his roof with an umbrella and thinks that he's not gonna break his legs. Yeah, it's like, like one of like, the first idiots that like, thought they were Superman. What did you think was gonna fucking happen? <laughs> like that wasn't gonna end well. And even if you don't break your skull, it, like something bad's <laughs> gonna happen. He captioned his video saying, you might see it as jumping for views, but I see more. I wasn't built for just normal. I'm a dream chaser and I don't settle for less. I will leave my mark on this planet. We call Earth our home. Chase yours and leave your mark. He definitely left his mark in the Colorado River and pieces of his skull. Well, it's like congratulations on achieving your dream of wanting to jump off a bridge. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, dude, and like, act like it's not jumping for views. Well, well, here's the thing, right? Like, if you say you wanted to be like a fucking a pitcher in Major League, like you got to fucking pitch and play on teams and then go to high school and do that shit and then maybe go to college and do it and then go to the minors and do it and then get brought up to a team and, you know, solidify your position and, you know, work out and train and all this shit. And you could want to do all that all you want. And you may never achieve that goal, right? But any idiot can go jump off a fucking bridge. (laughs) fucking bridge. Like, if that was my dream, I could go accomplish it right the fuck now. Right now. Leave your mark, dream chasers. Yeah. don't. So I hope your dream is not to jump off a fucking bridge because it's really not hard to do. And no one wants to do that. (laughs) And as we say to Saw Fumba, you're a goof. Fucking goof. (laughs) Way to make your mark, you fucking goof. Yeah, leave a mark is what he did as he hit the water with thunderous force. That's true. <laughs> so next up, hey, you know, on Goose or Goose, have you seen these fucking mysterious monoliths? Yeah, this, and they keep disappearing too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so these mysterious monoliths, the first one just appeared in a Utah desert, a remote part of the Utah desert, and nobody knew where the fuck it came from. So a lot of people were speculating if it's alien art. 
it's just a mysterious metal monolith. So of course it caught a ton of attention and then people started to go to take pictures of it and things like that. So it ended up uh, a bunch of guys came in to remove it. And this happened pretty recently. They were photographed um, taking the monolith, uh, and they told USA Today that they took it away for a few reasons. Number one, it's litter. Public lands are to be respected, and this was out of place in a pristine and sensitive environment. And they said, plus the monolith was in a secluded area of the desert, only accessible through a, a four-by-four dirt road with no designated parking area. So with all the people going to visit it and take pictures of it, um, they uh, were thinking that it could be disastrous for the land with all the vehicles and people and all that. Yep. So these guys removed the monolith. But then another one uh, appeared in uh, Europe. Yep. I thought that so, was weird. Very, very weird. You know, as we do on Goofs or Goofs, some some strange shit too. But yeah, I thought that was worth bringing up because we didn't even really uh, talk about it in our, our daily talks or, or anything leading up to this. That yeah, these just weird ass fucking monoliths appearing. And that just adds to 2020. Hey, y'all. Well, of course. And, and you know what, the Jay? I know that you're not done, but I actually have somebody that I wanted to nominate for our Goof of the Week, if you will. Yes. Uh, I just sent this one over to you too. Uh, just real quick. Our goof of the week this week is the Ravens strength and conditioning coach, Steve Saunders, which I sent you a picture of yeah. fucking cement headed idiot that he is uh, caused the outbreak on his team because he doesn't really take coronavirus seriously. So congratulations, Steve Saunders, you fucking goof. What's real goof of the week? Goof. Goddamn idiot. You know what I call him? Hey, yep. he's a boob. <laughs> fucking goose. He's a fucking dolt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So next up, we just got a couple more here and we're going to wrap up and head into the big five. Oh, Hey, y'all. So, um, a big hit show recently that is, was just wrapping up, has a lot of buzz. A lot of people talking is a show called Shits Creek. And, um, you know, it was pretty popular when it was on TV, but of course, as a, with a lot of things, got a, a second life when it started streaming. Um, personally, my wife like blew through, uh, I think, all five seasons. And it stars um, amongst a, a, a bunch of good character actors and things like that. Of course, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. I love well, Catherine O'Hara. And that brings up my point, which is why this is on Goose or Goose. Because Gen Z, as they're called, uh, the infamous millennials of our world, much love to you, uh, millennials, is the wizard behind the board. Well, no, uh, our man Cam Gen is a millennial. Gen Z is a younger generation than the millennials. Okay, so this is this is the even younger generation. Hey, yes. hey, he knows his uh, generational descriptors. So because these goofs are so young and they're loving um, Shit's Creek, many of them. Hundreds, if not thousands of them, were shocked that Catherine O'Hara is the mom in Home Alone in the mom in Beetlejuice. Therefore, Gen Zers, you're part of the Goofs or Goofs segment. Yeah, that's, you know, it's weird to, I don't understand that thing about younger people because I was never like that even when I was young. Like when I'd hear about stuff, I'd like try and find as much shit as I can. Like I would watch old movies and read old stuff and listen to old stuff. Like I guess younger people just don't do that at all. No. And you know, as one of my favorites, she was also Sally in a nightmare before Christmas, which they're finding out and it's blowing their minds. And as this uh, Buzzfeed little blurb perfectly describes People were just finding out Mora from Schitt's Creek is the mom from home alone. And this is further proof. The U S education system is failing. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's something. I don't know what the fuck it is. We're failing somebody here. Uh, you got to know your film history and give some respect to Catherine O'Hara because Beetlejuice is one of my favorites of all time. Like yeah. Before Christmas and fucking Home Alone. Goddamn classic. SCTV, too. That, that. That's something that Generation Z's probably have no fucking yes. clue about. So, Gen Z, your goofs, Catherine O'Hara, your goddess here on the What's Real podcast. And to wrap things up, hey, you know, I thought we could poke fun a little bit with some goofs and uh, uh, Felicity Huffman, who was one of the you know famous people that was in that college scam uh she's getting her first new acting gig so i was going to talk about that but guess what hey i did a 180 i called an audible and i found a much better story to end our 49th episode goose or goose segment with okay as this uh is entitled naughty Nolens, where a few <laughs> dozen swingers are battling an outbreak of covid19 after couples pass around the virus along with their partners at a New Orleans swingers convention, dude. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if that's the only outbreak they're currently battling. <laughs> I was gonna say super, super spreader of more than COVID nineteen. You, you, you set them up, and I knock them down, Jay. <laughs> yeah, COVID sixty nine. Hate y'all. But yeah, this. Uh, it was a five-day naughty in New Orleans romp last month, and it turned into a super spreader event with at least forty-one swingers testing positive for Corona. Probably testing positive for more than Corona. Hey, uh, yes. According to one of the organizers. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was a, a much more hilarious and better story than Felicity Huffman, who was also a goof. So, as I say to Hey Eel, week in and week out, and in the 49th episode, between YouTubers chasing their dreams and fracturing their skulls, to mysterious monoliths, to Gen Z not knowing a goddess of an actor, Catherine O'Hara, is, to a swinger convention super spreader. Goofs are goofs. So that's it for our show this week, guys. Hope you enjoyed episode 49. Uh, of course, next week, we're going to have much for, much more for you as we're going to be talking about uh, NXT TakeOver. We're going to talk a little bit about AEW's winner is coming. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a full NFL week for you guys to actually talk about with our power rankings. We may be talking about two Steeler games as well in there. And of course, seeing if, uh, if there's any semblance of life left in our fantasy league. Uh, and of course... Uh, we're going to talk Fat Man next week, too, uh, in place of Thursday Night Prime as we roll through the holiday season with much, much more on top of that. So uh, we hope you guys have enjoyed the show. But before we do that, I hear the Jay over there revving it up. man. Uh, we're revving it up. Hey, you know, I'm going to be decking the halls like Jake Paul against Nate Robinson up in this mug. Keep with us, guys. Come hang out with your boys, your favorite yinzers here on What's Real as we celebrate the holidays. We're having a blast. We're going to close out the year in season one. As I always say, love the show. Shout out to our producer, the wizard behind the boards, our man Cam. Keep doing what you're doing, Cam. Knocked it out this year, man. We had a blast. Hey, yo, my bro, doing it again, man. Reaching the big 5-0 next week. We'll have a big celebration. I got some blunts. I got some Mad Dog. I got some MD 2020, <laughs> some Schlitz malt liquor. We're, we're ready to go here party in Woody High style, 98 style. But yeah, loving it, man. For all you out there, stay safe, stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. So that's it for us this week. Of course, big shout out uh, and a big to our producer, uh, the Lariat Cam Hansen. 
over there just knocking people senseless, knocking people's eyes out of their skulls at this point. We appreciate that each and every week here on the program. The Jay, there's nobody else I'd rather be doing it with here each and every week, man. So thanks for sitting down with me as we do about this time. So that is it for us this week, guys. We will see you next week. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay checking us out here on the What's Real Podcast. What's Real?